I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million hours. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut, I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, and every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just like Guys and dolls, we're back for another episode of the debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray. You are listening to the soulful stylings of Quarter Water, a local New Jersey band. And tonight I am in a chill mood. It has been a busy day and a busy week, but this is my last professional obligation. But you guys know that this is my favorite thing to do, and it hardly feels like a professional obligation. I just took a trip to the liquor store on the corner to fuel up because it's a holiday weekend and my best friends are coming into town and got into a lovely conversation with the man there who informed me that this beer that I liked was from a black owned brewery, black female owned, which was a fun little fact to learn. And so I bought some more and I bought some others from urban garden brewing and I am drinking a glass of chamomile blonde ale as we speak. I know there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And I just want to take a moment to be present and say how grateful I am for this community to help me manage all that's going on in the world and to come up with solutions for how to make it better in whatever small way that we can. You know what the episode was about this week? It was all about housing. I've been wanting to do another housing episode for a while. We did one last year with Sia Weaver and Afini. But I wanted to do one that got into some of the private equity questions that I've had about how exactly uh, that mechanism of um, these big money interests buying up stock of housing is really affecting prices. I know a lot of you are feeling the squeeze right now. Feel free to weigh in with your personal anecdotes. I really appreciated the presence of Rebecca Parson on the episode. 
as an elected, as someone who's really deeply bedded in her community and as someone who has also experienced homelessness, it was really nice to have that angle. And of course, uh, Leilani offered this more global perspective as the former UN Rapporteur on housing rights. What a panel, right? What a panel. We all don't always get so lucky. But of course, I am here and open to talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. So let's get started with Chris. What's on your mind tonight, Chris? Good evening, Bree. Nice to speak with you. Uh, beer you're trying out sounds pretty interesting. I doubt we get it in Denver, though, unfortunately. Maybe. You never know. Maybe. But I'm sure you've got some pretty good stuff out in Denver. Isn't that like beer brewing country? It's it's beer heavy out here. There's a lot of breweries, a lot of, a lot of beer culture here, so. We're not lacking for beers, but <laughs> we could always use more. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was keen to, you know, last week when we got the road decision, I was supposed mm-hmm. to be in like one, but uh, last week when we got the road decision, I was keen to see everybody blame you and Susan Sarandon. And, <laughs> and like, like clockwork, there it was. But uh, I think that. I think the blame game is important right now, and and so, you know, I don't put the blame on you or Susan Strandon or Jill Stein or, or Bernie Sanders or anybody like that. But I do think that Barack Obama has some, some blame in this, right? He let, he let them uh, steal a, a seat. I think RBG has some blame here to go around. And then, you know, I thought it was really interesting today to see Joe Biden kind of breaking a little bit on the filibuster mm-hmm. when he's been so uh, firmly against amending the filibuster. He gave like a little sliver of like, not like a full break of the filibuster, but like an exception for something to codify uh, Roe. Um, I'm just keen, I guess, from your perspective, does codifying Roe prevent the Supreme Court from overruling that? So this is the conversation that people have been having. And I don't know if you remember the episode we had when the leaked opinion dropped with Professor Eric Siegel. And I'm now I'm blocking the name of the law, the other law professor on that episode. Uh, she specialized in, in women's, uh, you know, women's rights, Title IX, et cetera. And they were having this debate and a lot of people – back then argue that there's no point in codifying Roe because they were going to overturn it anyway. Um, But the argument, so there's, there's two things happening here. Sometimes the Supreme court gets rid of a right as in this case, because they said that that right was never founded in law or in the constitution, right? It has to, the idea is that it has to come from somewhere. So in this instance, the right to choose at least before the point of viability without incursion from the government was found between the lines as an abstract privacy right that the Supreme Court in 1973 decided was a constitutional right, was a protection at the federal level that states should not be able to abridge. Okay. And it got overturned because these new six Catholic vigilantes have decided that we're going to do a theocracy and that that they just are ignoring that precedent saying, no, there is actually no basis for there being a right to choose ostensibly if there were a federal law then it would be they would be presented with a different question not whether or not 
1973 Supreme Court was correct in finding a right to privacy that extended to abortion rights, but whether or not the federal law broke what was somehow in violation of the Constitution. And some people think that they would make that argument. They obviously have been acting with a great deal of caprice over the course of the past few days, over the course of the past week or so. They have come up with all kinds of excuses for why the federal government can't act. And this is an important note because I've seen a lot of commentary from conservatives that say, what's the big deal? They're just throwing it to the states. What's the big deal? They're just making sure that we have laws that come from the legislature and not created by the court. But if you look at what they've actually been doing over the course, like just even today, that um, Native American treaty case, that was law that they overturned. The case about the redistricting in Louisiana, that wasn't a Supreme Court case. I think that was a, what, an Eighth Circuit case or whatever. But that was law that they overturned. The New York gun case, that was law that they overturned. So while a lot of conservatives are saying, oh, they're just correcting an activist, an activist court, and while that might be the case in Roe, you know, they have also shown that they have an appetite for actually overturning law. And so that's why people are concerned that even if you codified Roe, it would make a difference. Now, the question is, one, is it still worth doing even if it got overturned? Because in the interim, it takes many, many years for a, court, a case to work its way through the Supreme Court. So that will at least be more years where people had protection. And by the time it got to the Supreme Court, there was a possibility that the composition of the court would be different and would be less likely to overturn the law. And there's also the chance that public outcry is such that, you know, sometime between then and now, it becomes, you know, inopportune for a conservative court or a conservative party to be even be pushing for that kind of an outcome. That might be seen as a bridge too far. The last thing I'll say about this is it was interesting to me that in Biden's remarks this morning in Madrid, he seemed to be very clear. I, and I wish I could find the video. We played it on Rising this morning. But there, he seemed to be very clear that this wasn't just about Roe. It was about protecting a broader range of privacy rights. And it, it would be interesting if, the, if the, what they pass is not – or what they attempt to pass anyway is not just a protection of abortion rights but of all of the privacy rights that are potentially on the chopping block including the right to contraceptives, the right to have anal sex or whatever, the right to um, interracial marriage, and the right to gay marriage. We're All these privacy rights. And if that were the case, too, right? yeah, just, well, no, sodomy does. sodomy would include oral sex as well. Okay, yeah, whatever whatever you want. But the, the idea being that if they did try to pass a bill that actually provided for broader privacy rights, it, it, there's pros and cons to that, right? Because some of those other rights are so popular that it might be disadvantageous for Republicans to oppose something like that or if it passed to try to overturn something like that. Because you would have to admit that you didn't believe in gay marriage, you didn't believe in interracial marriage and a bunch of stuff that most people are pretty on board with at this time, including Republicans. Alternatively, some people might say it's harder to pass if you glom everything in there because as long as abortion's in there, you have an excuse Republicans have an excuse to say, oh, no, 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 this isn't about me not liking gay marriage. This is about me not liking abortion. So I can see that Thomas going both ways. Loving, Thomas did leave out loving in his, in his uh, opinion that he wrote, which was, which was right. interesting. He must love his wife. Right. But moreover, I mean, some people will argue, and I said this, I think, in my radar, one of these radars this week, it all blurs together. But some people will argue that 
uh, interracial marriage does hinge on more than just a privacy, right? It's an equal, it was an equal protection case as well. So saying that, you know, a white person has a right to marry a, a person of any, you know, well, everyone uses black and white. I just want to say for the record that obviously it's not just that, and there are interracial couples that don't involve white people. <laughs> but, you know, that say a white person has every right, you know, it would be a violation of the, of the 14th Amendment if you said you couldn't marry a black person, but you could marry a white person or vice versa. And so people, some people are saying he left it out not because of the self-interest, but because even if you got away, if you got rid of the Griswold v. Connecticut-based rights, it wouldn't affect loving. You know, loving rests on other things as well. Okay. But, you know, the uh, so one other thing that I saw, there's a, been a lot, a, like a torrent from the Supreme Court in the last week or two. Um, but the one thing that I've seen a little bit on Twitter that I also wanted to ask you about was like Miranda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I haven't seen any like write ups on it. I've just seen tweets about it. Do you know anything about the decision that is coming or has come that involved Miranda? Yeah, it's it's come. It's, it done came, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. So I haven't read it, and I want to say I am no constitutional scholar, blah, 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 all the caveats. But my understanding is that there's no longer any requirement. But, well, basically, if someone, if a cop refuses to Mirandize you, you don't have any legal recourse, right? So technically it doesn't say – I mean, it doesn't say don't Mirandize people anymore. You can't Mirandize people anymore. But constructively, before, if a cop refused, you know, didn't Mirandize you, that was cause for you to make all kinds of evidentiary claims in the course of your claim uh, of your um, of your case, right? Right, like this, this this isn't admissible. It's fruit of the poisonous tree. Blah blah blah. There's all kinds of recourse for you, and now that's no longer the case. So in it's kind of like that Fourth Amendment case that came down a week or so before that said that you can't sue Border Patrol officers if they violate your Fourth Amendment rights and come into your home and rough you up or what have you. And people were very concerned because Border Patrol territory is anywhere 100 miles within the American border, which is like where 80 percent of Americans live. It's the whole state of Florida. It's the whole state of Michigan and all those curvy, twisty border coastal states. And what that means is, okay, is it a law that says Border Patrol agents can beat you up? No, but I mean, or a ruling rather, but it is a ruling that says if they do beat you up, there's nothing you can do. So read into what those incentives are for yourself. There's no, there was no cause of action against them. You can't, they're not liable. They're immune. I think there was another qualified immunity case that came down, but I haven't had time to follow up on that today. Is that helpful, Chris? That was, that was helpful. Um, Thank you for for that, and thank you for taking my call. Um, you know, this EPA one's really interesting too. But it's a conservative court, and obviously, at this point, like the solutions are 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 to fix the judiciary and fix especially the Supreme Court. But but I'll just say one more thing, and then you have twenty callers behind me already, so <laughs> I'll jump off soon. But uh, you know. The obvious decision or the obvious uh, thing to do now is to pack the court and and lifetime appointments. I mean, lifetime appointments are so – I understand the – I guess the reasoning behind it originally. But at this point, they're appointing judges in their 40s, and they're going to stay on there for 30, 40 years. And and virtually, like, you have to do something so egregious to be recalled 
as a, a lifetime appointed judge, uh, be it to whatever level court, including the Supreme Court. So, you know, I, I think these are conversations that and points that we need to dwell upon going forward, which is packing the court and 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 and, uh, and ending lifetime appointments. So, yeah. Well, what's so interesting about it is that you know the idea was you it would depoliticize the office, and the same argument goes for a set year appointment, right? If you knew you're out of twenty years. Arguably, I would I might say that it will depoliticize the office even more because to the extent that there's a kind of strategery going on in the appointment process because you know it's about longevity. Republicans tend to appoint younger people because they're smarter than Democrats in every way. <laughs> um, that you might feel guilty about, uh, let's say, changing your political position after you know over time. But if there's a shorter period of time, maybe there's less gamemanship. Games, gamesmanship and I don't know, maybe this is all a head game, but the point is back in the day, we did have cases of judges moving usually left over the course of their tenure, rarely if ever happened in the other direction. And that's kind of how we got the Warren court in what the 1960s that gave us a lot of the progressive um, holdings that we value today. Fun fact, there was a class when I was in college called uh, the Warren court and my college boyfriend took it, and it wasn't until – like, it was a very popular class, and it wasn't until, like, I saw a book for it on his shelf that I understood that it wasn't a class called War and Court. <laughs> but it was about a war and Supreme Court. So that shows you how much interest I had in the law until I literally stepped foot on, <laughs> on Harvard's campus, on the law school's campus. Anyway, oh, that's helpful, Chris. Thank you for calling in. Yeah. Thank you, Bree. Have a have a nice evening. Enjoy you the chamomile beer. Take care. Oh, I think you can hear that I am enjoying it a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hello, hello. Hello, Brad. You can hear me. Great. Uh, long time, first time. Awesome. Uh, yeah, love this platform, and I love what you're doing. And I, I have to admit, I only listen to, I don't know, ten minutes of the podcast so far today before I got pulled away to work and I only saw what you did uh your radar on radar on today just now on Instagram and I was really um excited by the the topic of you kind of blatantly calling for a dem exit although I, I feel like you you flirt with it often right I feel like it's actually where you are but you try to be more um even diplomatic <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> about everything yeah um, which is very admirable, given that it seems like you really do feel like the project is maybe hopeless with the Democratic Party. But I like that you're inclusive and, and very diplomatic with the whole thing. But uh, I've been wanting to call in for a while because I feel like you were kind of getting at this with your that great episode you had with Chris Hedges and um, Shama Sawant. And I was surprised that, I mean, I've listened to a billion Chris Hedges interviews and lectures and i'm surprised that he didn't bring it up when you were asking you know what we're supposed to do and tired of going over the the same options because i feel like chris hedges will often talk about groups like extinction rebellion and just say that nothing like not only will electoralism not work but really radical 
demonstrations are the only thing that are, that are going mm-hmm. to work. And, and I was surprised that he didn't say that, given that it was like the obvious time for him to say the thing that he says all the time. <laughs> but whatever, like, um, but, but I think that this moment, given that, well, again, to refer to Chris Hedges, I don't know if you've read his uh, sub stack that was just posted in the last couple of days. No, what's it about? It's quite good. It's, it's him, you know, he's been talking about Christian fascists for years. Mm. And, um, and this is just him saying, like, look how right I am. Like, mm. Not, you know, in, not, not in that kind of a way. But, but it really is like, just in the last couple of weeks, it really seems like Oh, fascists in our midst. Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible article, and it's just him, you know, spelling out what is happening and talking about his time studying these radical fascist Christian groups and how it's all clearly happening so rapidly right now. Oof! Um, Some of these cases I've never even heard of. Listen to this intro. Oh boy! Oh boy! Yeah. The Supreme Court is relentlessly funding and empowering Christian fascism. It not only overturned Roe v. Wade, ending a constitutional right to an abortion, but ruled on June 22nd that Maine may not exclude religious schools from a state tuition program. It is ruled that a Montana state program to support private schools must include religious schools. It ruled that a 40-foot cross could remain on state property in suburban Maryland. It upheld the Trump administration regulation allowing employers to deny birth control coverage to female employees on religious grounds. It ruled that employment discrimination laws do not apply to teachers at religious schools. It ruled that a Catholic social services agency in Philadelphia could ignore city rules and refuse to screen same-sex couples applying to take in foster children. It neutered the 1965 Voting Rights Act. It watered down laws allowing workers to combat sexual and racial harassment in court. Reverse century-old campaign finance restrictions to permit corporations, private groups, and oligarchs to spend unlimited funds on an election. On and Watch on and there. on. Sorry, it, I got a phone call. My apologies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you get the drift. I mean, it's it, that's only halfway through the opening paragraph. Whew. It only gets it only gets more depressing, <laughs> all the way to the bottom. Yeah, um, but I think that you know. I think that the Dem exit strategy is really the only strategy for anybody. And besides, I mean, you know, I wish that I was 20 years younger and not the only breadwinner in a family that has two very young children. Mm. Otherwise, maybe I'd be inspired to get arrested. But it's just not a reality. Like, we're barely scraping by in a big city anyway. We all have our, you know, we're all barely scraping by. But, I mean, Mm. I think that we all have to be willing to put our lives on the line. It's not just Roe v. Wade. I mean, it's everything. And combined with the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm largely tired of people saying that like Democrats are bad at governing. Democrats don't do this thing very well. I feel like at this point, it's clear that they simply don't care. It's not that they don't know how to do this, that, or the other. They know how to do what they're doing and they're doing it. They, yeah. they know how to make it seem like they care about xyz issue but at the end of the day they don't they just they support the donor class and they allow republicans to do whatever they want not because they don't know how to stop them because they don't care to stop them and the republicans actually have an agenda that they are willing to do any like come hell or high water they're just going to do whatever they want to do to to pass horrendous legislation and screw the working class and the democrats will just go along with it every every time so that was For actually the gist of my radar was exactly that. It was, yeah. let me, let me show you all the ways that the Democrats have been extremely effective in 
combating progressives as evidence that they fully yeah. know how to do it if, when they want to do it. And now look how inept they've been with respect to the Republican Party. Yeah. Yeah. yeah also, you guys should all go and click like on my radar and get in the comment section and help beat back these fascists who are <laughs> tell me I'm terrible every day. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I'm it's, kidding. I mean, it's it's just you know, it's just like what Glenn Ford said all during Barack Obama's presidency, and I think the answer is, I feel like I I love this platform, and it's been really fascinating seeing how. YouTube broadcasting, like how much social media has exploded, even just since the pandemic, I feel like it's changed so much. Mm. And this app, I feel like has enabled so many like minded people, not just to listen to people that can speak so eloquently, such as yourself, but like just for regular people calling into a show to realize that there are a lot of us and that the, the only way out of it is to just walk away from it and vote for the green party or vote for some other party, but just stop voting for them. Yeah. They don't, they don't care. And they're, they're not, they're not going to change. It's not going to be like, I saw something on fucking Sean King's Instagram, like listing 10 different Democrats that need to primary Biden. <laughs> like it's an A and it's AOC's photo. And it lists like Julian Castro. And I mean, I mean, I, I know Sean King's a controversial person. I don't know that I have like a concrete, way that I feel about him. I feel like he does some good things, but it was just really shocking that someone that can be so kind of revolutionary would think that even more Democrats are the answer, including Bernie Sanders, which I just feel like it's all, all of them are worthless at this point. Yeah. It's hard because, you know, since there's so, it feels like there's so few of us and there's so such limited time to your point, everyone feels so constrained you know, people have families and obviously we're all here together in part because the economy is so terrible right. and things have been so difficult for a long time that if people devote their minimum time and focus on electoralism, that it feels like a cost to the rest of us, even if it isn't necessarily because electoralism is kind of the easiest thing right. for us all to participate in, at least if you're not the candidate. I did see, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, and maybe I am a sap. Maybe tell you guys feel free to drive me for this, but AOC at least doing the bare minimum and and stating some agenda items that could be pursued by Joe Biden and acknowledging that electoralism isn't enough. Like she's still out here tweeting. Like what did she just tweet? I think I just retweeted it. I mean I haven't retweeted AOC in probably over a year. <laughs> and look, she just tweeted: if a politician is asking you for votes or money, you can ask them for a plan. Pressure makes us better. I mean, she does seem to be getting. Better late than never. What we've been saying since the force the vote moment. Yeah, we'll and see what she's we'll see what she's saying in November though. We'll see what she's saying in November and we'll see if look, did you see her tweet the other day where it um it seemed to suggest that she was open to challenging Biden? I didn't see that. She it was like one of those tweets with two screen grabs side by side. And it yeah. was it was like one one screen grab was something along the lines of Biden's upset that everyone keeps asking him why you know, if he's gonna run or if there's gonna be a challenger, and the next screen grab was like some democratic acolyte saying there will definitely be a challenger. And then she put like the eyeball emoji, you know, like, Oh, Brian's going to get a challenger. Maybe, maybe it's me. I think is what people were reading into it. And I got it. I got to say, like, it's not going to save us, but the idea, the fact of her doing that the same way that we thought of Bernie in 2016, when we didn't really think at first, at least that he could win is the idea that like getting these ideas out there on that level, having someone actually not gaslighting us, making us feel like there are things that can be done. Someone who might 
we'll see what happens because she hasn't done this in a while, but might understand the value of a different kind of protest of disrupt of disrupting labor labor. You know, when we were in front of the Supreme Court the other day, um, on Friday when the decision came down, AOC had been there earlier in the in the day. I didn't go until like four o'clock ish. And I, I I was sitting there looking at the Capitol building right there and thinking to myself, I was there the day that she did the sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office. I was covering it for The Intercept with Ryan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there used to, it used to be that you could just walk in there. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. need permission. Like, it's an open building. It's a people's building. You can just walk in there. And that's how they were able to do it. Since COVID, and especially since 1-6, you have to have the invitation of a congressperson. And I was thinking to myself, if she really believes this, then she could invite this whole fucking crowd in there right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know actually what the specific rules are, but she could bring at least some of us in there. I mean, but isn't that – I mean, hasn't she – look, before – was it before 1-6? I don't know. Before at some point – no, it was actually during Medicare for All. Before Medicare for All, I would watch – any AOC Instagram live stream I could, like, I really believed in her, even reluctantly, because at that point I had kind of given up on the Democrats. But like during the whole Bernie campaign, I voted for Bernie mm-hmm. and and I I believed in her, albeit reluctantly. But I mean, I feel like since Medicare for all, I feel like she's shown herself to not be trustworthy. It's great that she's saying this stuff. And, and yes, of course, it's great to put these ideas out into the world. But she, how long has she been in office now? I mean, how long has she had to put radical ideas out into the world? I mean, everybody says this stuff. Like, why isn't she, why isn't she using her Twitter platform to mobilize millions of Twitter followers? Like, that's what she should have been doing for the last several years. And I agree. So she's doing it right now because it's really bad right now. And but she isn't actually, to be clear, doing that yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I mean, like Roe v. Wade just got overturned. She has yeah. to say something kind of radical because it's a huge moment. I don't think anybody ever thought it was actually going to happen because it was just such a boon for both parties. But she has to say something. She has to kind of go back to her quote unquote roots and and be like this radical outsider. But she hasn't been a radical outsider since she supported Bernie Sanders. I mean, yep. and that's. I don't know. I, that, that's it. Um, yeah, look, I, I agree. And frankly, there's I, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but we've all read the stories about how there was a break even during the Bernie campaign and some frustration that she had with Bernie and how he was running and messaging and maybe some regrets about not aligning with Elizabeth Warren and yada, yada, yada. So I don't oh, really. Look, I'm not hip to that. What's that all about? He, she was upset that he didn't align with Elizabeth Warren. Warren? No, just the, you know, there are, there was reporting. And again, this is not me saying anything firsthand. Right. I don't know anything, but I mean, I would tell you if I did, you know me, right. Right. <laughs> um, but that she was frustrated with some of the language she was using on the stump. He, she wanted him to, you know, she was upset over the Joe Rogan endorsement. She felt like there was maybe too much pandering to a kind of, you know, that stereotypical horseshoe sort of voter. And she mm. wanted a more kind of a woke discourse. Now, that sounds like even if it's true, that's a maximalist description of it. Because right. you know, the AOC that I knew and was covering back in 2018, 
understood that delicate balance between the weaponization of identity politics and not throwing disenfranchised communities under the bus. And she was one of the people who spoke most eloquently about it. I mean, I, I had like an hour plus long conversation with her about it at South by Southwest in 2019, the very beginning of 2019, like March. Mm-hmm. And it was about exactly that topic. And she was very eloquent. She did an interview with Glenn Greenwald at the intercept, I think in the end of 2018, or maybe it was the summer of 2018 where she was also just like, she said it better than, you know, at that time I was just pinning all of my articles about identity politics. And I was like, Oh damn, this young woman is, is stealing my bit. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. that's how I felt at the time. And I don't know if it's being in DC, being around too many libs. I don't know what it does seem like she shifted away from that, but there is a part of me and maybe I'm a sucker. I fully admit it. And maybe I'm too close to it all. I admit it. There's a part of you that hopes she pulls it out. Like, I hope that she finds her, her ground again. Cause I think she's very capable. She can but, land this if she, if she decides it's what she wants to do and who she wants to be. But isn't that exactly the opposite of Dem exit? Like, isn't that just like all the Democrats need to do to calm down this Dem exit sentiment is find the right person. Bernie's too old. And, and so it just has to be AOC because she's the most. She's the most popular person in the House, and and that's that's the only person that they could yeah. get out there. Well, first there's like, mid there's midterms first, yeah. so there's yeah, a that's, there's that's, a world where you're you know you're yeah. go ahead and demex it, you're yeah. you know, and and that's what I said in the in my in my radar as well that you know what's frustrating about demex is that Democrats have done such a good job of pinning us in, and in so many states, you know, I used to live in New York, you can't vote. <laughs> in New York, if you're yeah. not registered Dem, like right. in the primary. So, I, you know, but for that, I think a lot of people would have demexited already. I live in DC. Right. You know, my vote doesn't matter at all. It's easy for me to sit here and say demexit. Maybe people who live in Pennsylvania or Ohio or what have you make, are making different, difficult, different kinds um, of decisions. I, and I respect I'm an, that. I, yeah, I'm in Ohio and living in Los Angeles. So, yeah, my, my vote doesn't count. But, yeah. Um, but I, well, I, I guess I'll say, uh, well, one, I, I might have to, I'm, I'm working my retail job. I'm the only person here, but I might have to abort at any moment if someone walks in the store. But, um, but I do want to say, I, I appreciate when you push this farthest edge of left leftism on your platforms. And um, I really appreciated that you had such a great long conversation with Max Blumenthal. Mm. Um and I wanted, I wanted to call him in that, that episode, actually, because I was like, what was it? What was the reason for the Max Blumenthal episode? It was something that he was. It was Roe. It was that Roe. He had had that confrontation with Roe Khanna over Ukraine. That's right. That's right. And I was hoping that you would have him on thinking that now she's never going to have Max Blumenthal on her show. And boom, you had him on your show. And not it was like a really nice, like long, great conversation covering a lot of issues. And I felt like that was really important. It's so confusing knowing who's friends with who and who doesn't like who on the left media <laughs> landscape because um, some people can be really controversial. And I was really happy to see that you had Max Blumenthal on. I know that like Jimmy Dore can be very controversial, but as many people know, like Jimmy Dore's whole thing is Dem exit. And, and I, I think that there, you know, if Ralph Nader is right in that only you only need 1% of the population to believe mm-hmm to believe really strongly that change needs to happen in a certain direction. I feel like, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not like, don't know what 1% of the population is, but I feel like there's so many people on the left sphere that are plugged into left 
online media, I just feel like if there was some way between like breaking points, especially, and even parts of Joe Rogan's audience or whatever, mm -hmm. like, I mean, it just has to be so close in order for people to join together in some way to make substantive change, or at least to scare the shit out of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of, I don't know, it, it feels disrespectful or something for me to say, I feel optimistic or at all positive about this moment, given all of the, you know, implications of these rulings on so many people's lives that are so grievous mm. at the same time, there is something in it and seeing how many liberals like liberals who were my antagonist in the mm -hmm. Twitter wars for all of these years, sounding like full on Bernie bros right now talking about yeah. Biden ain't done shit. And yeah. How dare you? And Obama, you should have codified row. Like it's, it's, this is the most progress I got to say, at least rhetorically. And we'll see how long it lasts and grain of salt and all the caveats. Right. But this is the biggest shift I've seen, honestly, to the left in terms of the understanding of how you need to be adversarial to the democratic party. Right. And that's and, and the I, whole bag. That's the whole game. And I think that it's it's a testament to was the Slavoj Žižek conversation where you were discussing accelerationism. Mm, um, maybe. I mean, I mean, I, I think it was that one. Uh, but either way, I, I think that it needs to get worse in order for people to wake up, because clearly this is like everybody kind of getting by kind of a thing and just voting and then not paying attention to politics. People's lives need to be affected more directly in order for them to understand that neither political party gives a shit about them. And, and sadly, this is what needs to happen. You need to have Christian fascists on the Supreme court striking down a bunch of stuff. I mean, Roe v. Wade is bad enough, but all of those other things that are listed in that Chris Hedges article, including given that I live in a border area, as do most people like mm -hmm. that, that uh, border patrol horrifying ruling mm -hmm. and all the stuff like the Christian stuff in public schools. Like mm -hmm. it just, it, it needs to get this bad in order to wake people up. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did want to mention that, that that's what's fascinating about right now. It's, it's really horrible that Roe v. Wade was overturned. All of these rulings are really terrible. The, the, the EPA, Etc. But but that's that's what needs to happen because what was happening wasn't enough to radicalize enough people. And yeah, I was people, talking people to the makeup artist. To their yeah, <laughs> the make uh, the substitute makeup artist at the Hill um, lives in West Virginia, and we end up you know we're talking in the morning and 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 this this came up and I was like, look, I, it seems really shitty to say. Because we were, I mean, we were talking about spirituality and astrology and she was saying right. that we're entering the age of Aquarius and the sacred feminine is coming. It's not important. You guys don't care about that. Right, right. I thought it was interesting. But the point is, I was like, yeah, I mean, what you're, what you're saying sounds like an accelerationist argument, which we're not allowed to say that we like for very reasonable ethical reasons, because you never know if the accelerationism is actually going to work. And you could just be damning people to a lot of harm without knowing there's going to be an upside. I completely understand why any one given person doesn't want to be left holding the bag or be the one responsible for flipping that trolley switch. However, it also like intellectually, cognitively, like strategically seems obvious to me that that's the only thing. Yeah. It's the only, like, it's the only, it's the only thing. And even this might not be enough for people, you know? It's, I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, you already feel like, doesn't it seem like the, the row protests are already dying down a little bit? 
it's you know it's 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 yeah. bubbling it's still there people are still talking about it on twitter everybody has the perfect meme for how much they hate the supreme court but until it's the thing that gets a lot of people to stop substantive things stop substantive day-to-day activities in america nothing's really going to change and and, yeah. and then including like well between that and then in in great numbers noticeably not voting for democrats anymore because it doesn't matter who they put up for the midterms or who they put up for president it should be obvious to anyone paying attention in a serious kind of a way that that they just they don't care they don't not know how to do anything they just don't want to do anything yep. but anyhow yeah that's yep. that uh, thanks, by the for, way, thanks for oh, taking my call yeah of course thank you for calling in and i look I wanted, forward to hearing the rest of it thank you um, someone, I was just trying to find it in Slack. I just got DM'd in the bad faith Slack that Extinction Rebellion wanted to hip us to some huge, um, where'd it go? Some huge action that they're doing to, you know, just to respond to the idea that people aren't doing enough and, you know, that it seems like it might already be petering out. There are these groups that, know how to bring it harder and know how to be disruptive in a way that disrupts capital and stuff. And I, I, I've I've been trying to dip my toe into this a little bit on the Hill and, you know, it's difficult because obviously, you know, you can't incite people to violence. It's against the law. It is also obviously true that nobody ever won their freedom by asking, which puts people like myself in a really awkward position and you know, you'll never really catch me doing a Joe Biden and immediately rushing to tell everybody not to be violent. I also am not going to ask anybody to be violent for many reasons. One of which is that I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. But There's a lot of room between like hitting people, <laughs> um, which by the way, it's very, it's, people love to talk about punching Nazis, but nobody's been talking about like punching you know, the people who are restricting women's rights in this moment, but never mind that. Uh, there's a lot of room between all of that kind of behavior and like blocking traffic, you know, and it's, I, rem- I said this last time, but standing in that crowd in the Supreme Court, like a couple blocks from Constitution Avenue and thinking like we're not just moving over there and blocking traffic and then getting home and saying that Jody Sweden from Full House had been, you know, pushed down by the police because they were doing it. I mean, I think that's the right thing to do. You know, that's the kind of civil disputes you have to be willing to go to jail. Like, that's the nobility of it all, that you have, you're going to take your licks. You're going to Steven Donzinger it. You know, it's not pretty. You know, I saw Reality Winner asking for a pardon from Biden today. Like, this shit sucks, you know? But, you know, I just don't, it's not. It's not going to come. It's not going to come anyway. The other point I do want to make about ASC is that in electoralism is that it's not that you're like, oh, ASC is going to run, so everything's fine now. It's the Columbia example. It's okay. There's a candidate that might be responsive to the movements that we're organizing, and therefore we're going to orient America so that it's a place where we don't give orgs don't give endorsements on the basis of the candidate being the lesser of two evils orgs potentially hold withhold endorsements altogether if nobody's adequate and it's the candidate's job to be the kind of candidate that earns an endorsement i also just want to say i saw someone in the chat ask do we need a supreme court we don't and 
if we do, we could have one that has its powers severely limited to being a very minimalist Supreme Court that doesn't touch these kinds of cases and controversies. And for details on that, I highly recommend you go to an episode that I unlocked. It features Nico Bowie, who is a Harvard law professor, son of Lonnie Guineer, uh, Eric Siegel, who I'm going to just start calling bad faith pod legal expert since he's been on so much and is so useful uh, and a great communicator. And also Ilhan Warren, Ilhan Warren, who is a conservative jurist who with Nico was on the Supreme court panel with Joe Biden last summer and advised the, the hearing, the commission on what Joe Biden should do to reform the court. And both Nico and Eric agree that the Supreme court needs to be reformed and basically its powers for judicial review should be taken away. It's complicated. I don't want to get that into it and I'm going to get it wrong because I am not a constitutional law professor and they are, but I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. I'm going to tell you what number it is right now. There's only partial video online because it was initially premium, but you can listen to the full thing for free. Nico Bowie, um, Eric Siegel, Bad Faith, and the episode is called, it's episode 88, Cancel the Supreme Court, Unlocked, from May 5th, I unlocked it on May 5th, uh, 2022. All right. Uh, Jack, you're up next, and I'm going to start skipping around a little bit, so don't get impatient if you're in the back. Uh, Go can ahead, you Jack. Hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind tonight? Awesome. Yeah, I just want to start off by saying I really enjoyed your uh, last episodes with Ben Norton and Professor Wolf, of course. Uh, awesome. Thank you. But I wanted to just add on to the housing discussion, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, so I have some pretty crazy stats. So uh, 80% of new bank loans are for mortgages. Uh, huh. Bankers borrow at like low rates, like, you know, like near 1%, and then they uh, put that onto the borrowers that get new mortgages that like four to five percent interest, so they're just extracting mm. by that interest payment. And then, uh, before Obama came in, there was sixty eight percent of people own homes, and now it's under like sixty one percent. More than fifty percent of the value of U.S. real estate is owned by mortgage bankers. Mm. And then homeowner equity, what you own now of your mortgage debt, um, has fallen even faster. And homeownership rates have declined. Wow. Yeah. So it seems like financialization is just destroying our economy. <laughs> it's pretty. It bleak. sounds like you just wrote my next radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know if I can recommend you a couple or a few people for your podcast. Oh, I'd love that. Here, wait a minute. Yeah, Let me open so. my Slack channel for. for so a couple of them have Twitter, so you can. Okay, let's go. Let's do really. it. So um, the first one. Uh, would be Dr. Carl Hart. Okay. He's uh, at Dr. Dr. Carl Hart. Carl with a C? Uh, yeah, Carl with a C. And he does, um, he basically focuses, he's a neuro neurologist at uh, um, uh, Columbia. Mm-hmm. And he um, he's actually like the first black tenured uh person at columbia which is pretty Mm. crazy but um yeah he he's done like a lot of books on like drug legalization and drug Mm. criminalization and his last book was basically he made the argument of drug legalization so i thought it would be cool for you like you know discuss that with robbie maybe 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, right? Well. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, um, I, I got a couple economists to recommend, if that's okay. Yeah, of uh, course. So the first one also has a Twitter. Um, it's at Prof Steve Keen. So P-R-O-F, then Steve, then Keen, K-E-E-N. And yeah, mm-hmm. so he's an, Austro- an Australian economist, and he basically focuses on debunking mainstream economics. So, and he kind of focuses more on like climate and, I guess, like housing and industrialism. But he 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 also has been working on like these models that uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of complex, but um, he's he'd be interesting. I know he just went onto um, uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Um, Lex Lex Friedman or whatever his name Lex mm, I think definitely. Lex Friedman or he's he's this guy that has like over a million followers on Twitter but mm. um yeah he just went onto his podcast so but uh the other one is Michael Hudson um he doesn't have a Twitter but he has a website at um michael-hudson.com and he just does a lot of uh um writing on the finance and insurance and real estate sector and neoliberalism. So yeah, I got all those facts um, about mortgages and stuff from uh, his latest article. So he's an excellent source. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate yeah, that's, that's, you. That's all I have. So I'll let Thank you, Jack. Thanks yeah. for calling in. Much appreciated. I don't have a, like a, I mean, obviously I have a producer, but I don't have like a booker kind of producer that actually, Find people and suggest topics and stuff. It's just a one woman show. So I really do appreciate that. I am going to just start hopping around a little tiny bit. Um, Melissa, you are up next. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, Brie, can you hear me? I can. Hi. Um, first of all, I'm glad you're having a good evening and I'm glad you're going to have a good weekend. You deserve it. We deserve it. Thank you. We do. We do, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been kind of rough, huh? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I don't know. My mom and I were talking about this. How like she's very into about being present and appreciating the moment and all of those kinds of things, and how it can feel kind of dissonant, dissonant, and almost unkind to maintain that kind of practice throughout a kind of community tragedy like this or mm-hmm. a public loss. But that it's more necessary than ever, and you just can't feel guilty about it. You got to claim your joy when it comes, even in times of generalized darkness. So true. So we're going to have a good weekend. We're going to have a good weekend. Um, I did want to kind of um, correct you on the Miranda rights case. Sure. Um, So the exclusionary rule is still intact. So they still have to give you Miranda rights, and if they don't... Uh, you know, you can exclude evidence, but I think the case was about like damages or something. Like you couldn't get a certain amount of damages if you civilly sue. Um, oh, so it is more cops. akin to just the Fourth Amendment case, the Border Patrol case. It's about personal yeah, I, liability. I'm I'm not even I don't even know the facts of the case. I was just kind of reading about it because I was like, I don't know. I think you still have to give Miranda rights, and and you still can exclude evidence if they don't, but. Yeah, it's more about civil lawsuits, I think. Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, I think you're right. Upon a Google. Yeah, thank you for that. 
Yeah, no problem. And um, I actually was watching your radar, not the most recent one. I haven't seen that one yet, but the one about the Ninth Amendment, I watched that one. Um, I thought it was really good. And then I proceeded to like fight with a ton of people in the comments. <laughs> oh, um, we have a hero in our midst. well you know because i'm getting really annoyed with it you know (laughs) um i'm getting really annoyed with the argument of oh well that's what you know that's what an amendment to the constitution that's what that's for you know if you want to legalize abortion then then have an amendment in the constitution and it's like okay listen if if they were genuine, if they were seriously genuine about the argument that the Supreme Court shouldn't decide law and mm. the Supreme Court shouldn't have any role in our lives and effectively shouldn't do anything, if that was legitimately their argument, I would probably be on board. But the fact of the matter is that it's, you know, it's in bad faith because then they'll go, they'll turn around and say that the decision that came out today, the EPA case, is a decision that makes sense when what i mean you know this is like a bunch of legal stuff but like if if the if the legislative branch delegates its powers to the executive branch in a law yep then what does the court have anything to do with that the court is just inserting themselves and they do this they do this over and over and over again look at obamacare that was a law a hundred percent so hundred percent. The argument is just in such bad faith, and I'm so I'm so sick of it because, yeah, it's frustrating. But um, I'm a lawyer. I'm actually a housing lawyer. Oh, so wonderful! I've More applause for case. you. Thanks. Yeah. Where do um, you um practice? I'm in Akron, Ohio. Awesome! Lots of Buckeyes on the calls. Yep, I, we're around. I love that for us. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, I'm you know, claiming it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can, you can. Um, I saw yeah, some tweet. It was making fun of something. I can't remember what it was, but it was the gist of it was it was about the 15th biggest city in America, and I think it was Columbus. And all the comments to the the tweet or the meme or whatever it was were, Columbus is the 15th biggest city in America. And I'm like, yeah, people sleep in Ohio. It's got a lot of people in it. Yeah, yeah, no, we actually have uh, quite a few cities, but. You know, it's, it's going downhill real fast. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So with, in my housing, in my housing career and, you know, being a lawyer, it's, um, we have a real big issue with corporate landlords. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I saw an article the other day that said like one in five um, Ohio homes are being bought by corporations. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and that kind of like that that really tracks because we're we're dealing with that quite a bit. Well like right now I have a case where there's a corporate landlord and <clears throat> what happens is like they live in California, right? Mm-hmm. They buy up a bunch of properties in Ohio and then they don't upkeep them. So like we're dealing with like really, really horrible conditions. Yeah. And there's almost like no accountability. So yeah, it's um it's really rough and um, evictions are, are happening a lot right now. So, um, and I just think that, I think that what's the most, what's, what's the toughest thing about my job right now is that there's really not a lot of answers because 
you know, most people don't know that when you're a month to month tenant that, you know, you can leave, you can leave by giving 30 days notice, but the landlord can also tell you to leave with 30 days notice. Yeah. And I mean, you can't find a place in 30 days. It's just impossible. It's impossible to find another home in 30 days right now. Um, with if you if you're poor because you know rent rent prices are so high so you know people are coming to us and saying well I just need time I just need time like I just can't find a house and you know there's really just no no solutions to that um so yeah it's a sorry just brought down the mood wow no 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 (laughs) I'm I'm curious to know you know obviously we spoke on the podcast. I asked them all toward the end, what reforms they would like to see, you know, what would, they, what would be at the top of their list? What's your answer to that? Um, well, I think that, I think right to counsel is um, kind of a good starting place um, mm-hmm. because it, the fact of the matter is that these landlords aren't very smart. So they do mess up when they're trying to evict people, but mm. most most regular people don't know what their rights are and don't know like the there's a lot of like very small procedural arguments involved in um in evictions. So they obviously don't know those. So I I saw, saw a statistic. I I'm not sure what it was, but um you know, tenants are much more successful when they have attorneys obviously and and most most uh most landlords have attorneys and actually if you are a corporate landlord you have to have an attorney mm-hmm. by law so mm-hmm. it's just an unfair advantage um but i also like good cause eviction um i think that again i'm just seeing a lot of instances where people are just being asked to leave right Mm. you know it's there's no reason for it and people are shocked to find out that you can be asked to you know you can be asked to leave your home for no reason at all other than they just want you to go yeah um and you know a lot of like discrimination stuff kind of happens in this in this this situation and there's no recourse because they're allowed to ask you to leave. And um, so I think if, if there was some sort of like way that we could enact good cause evictions where there actually has to be a reason, you know? Yeah. This, this is your home. Yeah. Well, you know, New York, I, you know, my last serious boyfriend was a housing attorney in um, Brooklyn and he used, you know, at the time we were dating New York, had just, um, guaranteed counsel, uh, for, uh, mm-hmm. defendants in these evictions. And he, they were implementing it, I think kind of borough, borough by borough. And they were also enthusiastic about it, but also it was just the tip of the iceberg. It was during COVID. There were all of these shenanigans going on. I know in that first year when the courts were closed and there were battles over opening them back up because all the housing attorneys wanted them to stay closed because, as long as they're closed, their clients got to stay in their homes. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was a fascinating window into that world. You're making me think I need to call him also because he still has that pink blazer I wore on the cover of that <laughs> fake logo. So I didn't get that back. But thank you so much for yeah, what you, you need do. That back. I need that back. It was thank great. So it was a great linen blazer. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Um, please do call in again. And 
Please do all the lawyers in the chat correct me because I'd love to say that I'm the worst lawyer in the world, and it's totally true. I need you to guys to oh. keep me on the straight and narrow. Oh well, <laughs> if, if you're do, I actually I just thought of something else. It's not a correction necessarily, Please. but like okay, so you were talking about how he didn't bring up uh, how Thomas didn't bring up Loving versus Virginia mm-hmm. uh, because it was wasn't Obergefell based off of equal protection as well. Oh, I'm not sure, but now that you say it, it's possible. I feel like it was because, you know, there's like discrimination situ- mm-hmm. stuff going on there, but maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of one of those people that's kind of side-eyeing Thomas too. Oh, I'm side-eyeing it. <laughs> I'm side-eyeing <laughs> it regardless. I'm just wanted, I want people to know that that's the argument that's being made for why yeah. he in good faith left that one off the list. Cause yeah, I had some other lawyer weird. check me over it. So I'm just passing on the check. <laughs> That's all yeah. I but I fully side eye it as well. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. So I'll report back sometime. Please do, Melissa. Thank you for calling in. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. How about Darrell? What's on your mind this evening? Hey, hey how's it going? Welcome I'm doing to well. uh, Mexico City. Oh, God. I love Mexico City. What are you doing there? Do you live there or are you on holiday? No, just just kind of visiting. I I work remotely, so it's uh sometimes I just like to get out of the U.S. for a while, see some things, and yeah. especially when it's hot in Texas and it's really nice here. So that yeah, helps a lot. I am. Oh, I yeah. probably would never have gone when I, when I you know I grew up living overseas, and my mother was always like, "We'll do we'll do Latin America, South America, we'll do the West Western Hemisphere when we get home." And so we never traveled anywhere in Latin America. And I went to Mexico City for a bachelorette party a few years ago. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is some dumb bachelorette shit. I don't know why she picked this. And I had the best time. <laughs> I, I immediately was like, this feels big and bustling and New Yorkish and architectural yeah. diversity. And yeah. it was so textured and interesting. And I was like, oh, I could live here. I could just live here. I can move here tomorrow, and I know I would love it. Yeah, I'm really loving it. This is my first time here for any significant amount of time. Um, but for me, it's the food. The mm. food is what's really getting me. I'm a, a definite foodie. So I wouldn't want to blow a Robbie spot. <laughs> I don't think he'd bite. We were def- I was definitely trying to drag him on set today because he was explaining that he was making American-style tacos and – on top of that, apart from it being, you know, just ground beef, crunchy shell, which I have some nostalgia for, he didn't have, he ran out, he didn't have the packet of seasoning for the ground beef, did not season the ground beef, and also didn't have any salsa. So he had like little, ta- like dry, plain little taco meat crumbles <laughs> inside of a hard shell <laughs> with no <That's> fixings. <laughs> That just breaks my heart. I can't even, I can't deal with that right now on top of everything else. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Somewhere in America, that's what was going down. (laughs) All right. What is on your mind tonight, Darrell? Darrell, No, I wanted to call, um, no, yeah, Darrell. Yeah, no worries. I I wanted to call, I heard the, uh, the radar, which I thought, Mm -hmm. absolutely, hallelujah. I'm just, you know, I think I called earlier and said we've got to get rid of these guys they're terrible worthless so 100 percent, that is the move um so yeah kudos on that i thought it was a great great rant thank you um, 
add just kind of a little bit out of left field, but just I'm very much a believer that you know electoralism is great, especially at the local level. I think it's very helpful. Mm. But at the end of the day, we're kind of in this period where the U.S. government especially is not going to function for a while. I think that's just baked into the cake. So mm. I think it's important that we start taking on a lot of these a lot of these tasks ourselves. Um, so little plug, I'm the founder of a group called National Police Data Coalition, mm. which is doing a little bit of that, looking at basically harmonizing uh, standards for collecting and police accountability data across the country and mm. bridging a lot of these gaps there. And I think that there's just, especially when it comes to data, and when it comes to using some of the information that has been generated by our new age and using that to hold powerful people to account, I just think that's the only way to, it's the only way to do it. Because um, there's not a, there's no real method of getting this government to move away from the money that is chasing. Can you tell us a little bit more about, because I remember in some point in my journalism career realizing how like not streamlined or organized the data collection was in various sectors across the country and how the paucity of data really enables a lot of, you know, bad acts to continue. And so can you tell us a little bit about the, the kind of need your organization is meeting right now? Yeah. So I can talk like specifically when it comes to police, although this applies to really legal data, more generally as well. But part of it is a lot of this data is self-reported. Mm. So as you can imagine, police are not really interested in talking about things that they've done wrong. Uh, and sometimes that can get to really extreme degrees. I was talking to a lawyer today out in West Texas and some of the horror stories he was telling me about how they can just go and get away with abuse and then because they offer a plea deal to the to the client, mm-hmm. now that data completely gets lost. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of no recourse. There's also a law in Texas where if there's any data that's revealed in discovery, that mm-hmm. can't be shared with anyone ever. Mm-hmm. So if you have information that is given to a lawyer during discovery of, oh yeah, this police officer has you know these things on his record. That can never be shared or disclosed with anyone just because it was handed over as part of discovery, uh, which mm. is actually kind of a forward move since before that, Texas lawyers in criminal defense didn't even get discovery, which was pretty <laughs> insane. But I mean, there's just this, um, there's a self-reporting bias. There's the fact that you don't have the ability to, to coordinate across jurisdiction. Um, partially because there's completely different standards. Like you go from state to state, there's different standards for what use of force is, different mm-hmm. standards for um, what's allowed in any given situation. Um, so what's legal can change. Um, and so there's not really a coordination across across that. And so what you get in that case is a lot of police officers will kind of act like they're the Catholic church. They get caught in one place, they just move somewhere else. And then, you know, presto, the record's completely spotless. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff that happens uh, across the board. 
I mean, it kind of boils down to this lack of coordination on the part of kind of people that are that are working on behalf of the people and going up against a state that is extremely coordinated. Um, another really good example of this, there was a, there was a case in Massachusetts, Annie Dugan um, was a, a crime lab worker who was found to have falsified records, put people in jail that shouldn't have been there. And so the police or the, the district attorney at the time released a report saying, okay, we know that this happened. Here are the people that we know were affected by this. And because Massachusetts happened to have a statewide public defender system, which is pretty rare, um, mm -hmm. they actually had the ability to share data across all the different cases that had happened over the years. And they were able to find out that they had left out just a ton of people. Anybody that was a co-defendant on a case, anybody that was, you know, there are all these different ways that people kind of slip through the cracks. And they were able to successfully push against that and get those people released and get their cases, you know, looked at again and things like that. Mm. Um, without any collaboration or coordination of that data, that never happens, right? And you have these yeah. people who basically are left um, having been falsely accused on falsified crime lab data. And, you know, there's no one that has any insight into how that happened. So... Yeah. yeah it's a okay, I'm I'm sold. You're doing good work, my friend. Like, what's the name of the org again? In case people want to follow you. Yeah, it's a National Police Data uh, Coalition, uh, NationalPoliceData.org online. Um, so definitely check it out. We're going to be recruiting also for anybody that is, uh, especially around media and things like that, because that's one of the areas where we're a little weak right now. I'm kind of a technologist by nature, so that's where. I'm good when it comes to social media, not so much. So. Well, there's a lovely young woman from the Bernie campaign who's down in Mexico City right now who used to work for the comms department uh, in case you want to pick up some local talent. I mean, she's not from there. She's from yeah. Texas. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll put you in touch. Her name is also Brianna. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do. That'd be great. All right. Um, I am going to – I just had your tw YouTube up, your Twitter up rather. I'll find it again and I will follow you and we can be in touch. Thank you for calling in. Absolutely. Thank you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right. Let's hear from B. You look like a new face. What's on your mind tonight, B? Hey, Brady. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. I always need to pinch myself when I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want to echo Brad regarding the platform and thank you so much for everything that you do and even offering this to begin with. I don't know how you're balancing it all. You must be superwoman. Um, I just Didn't you hear to... I had a chamomile beer? <laughs> <laughs> I won't take up too much time. I just wanted to shed some light on um, the recent waves of protests happening in Australia right now. Please. Um, in fact, just this week and how effective they've been. And I know um, in the episode title, um, the question is particularly posed around the left, but what's great about these protests is that the left isn't even mentioned at all. It's both right and left-leaning people. Their mm -hmm. leanings are inconsequential and because they recognise the benefits and, and they've been really effective. Like, for example, we've had mass strikes in our transport industry and one happening today. Um, and the, um, the, the transport minister finally conceded to the union's demands of $260 million in changes. Um, and they're saying, nope, we're still going ahead with this with this strike until we get it in writing. 
Um, and then there's a, there's a massive teacher shortage happening right now and a big strike happening today all across New South Wales uh, because of their working conditions and hours and pay. And the New South Wales Premier finally conceded and said, yep, we'll give you a 3% raise. And they've said, no, we're not accepting less than 5 to 7%. And that's just as a start. <laughs> right um, on. Yeah, and even this week or the last week, um, Blockade, Blockade Australia, um, they're a climate action protest movement, which do which I think you touched on earlier in the episode. They they block roads and things like that, and they blocked a major a major tunnel that leads into the city, um, causing immense disruption, um, and just just things like that. And I just find it really interesting that in none of these situations, at least in the media I've consumed, their right or left leaning positions. Um, like have been highlighted. Mm. Um, it's it's just this this is what's being done, and it's great to see how effective it's actually being. Um, I think one more thing I'd love to touch on is a caller at a previous um, call in mentioned, you know, about the inner workings of the agricultural industry and its ties and influence on government and climate. And I, I think you'd mentioned that he he mentioned something that not a lot of people knew um and i know climate isn't sexy <laughs> especially with like everything going on and people what people are dealing with right now um but i did just have a quick suggestion for for someone that you can interview um if that's okay yeah, um, his name is george monbiot um i think that's how you pronounce his surname um Do you know how to M-O-N- spell it? yeah yeah m o n b i o t so he's a british writer and an, and an environmental political activist um he just did a great interview recently with novara media who covers sort of british left media um about how meat is the new oil and mm-hmm. i think he'd be great to speak to the new sort of the us supreme court ruling against the epa you know limiting emissions i think i think he'd be able to shed some great light on that as well oh terrific i will definitely reach out no, I saw my old law professor. I I took environmental law. Guys, this is how old I am. When I was taking environmental law, deep water horizon happened while I was in class. Like I was in that class. Remember that? Remember how that was supposed to be the worst thing that ever happened and then everybody forgot about it? That oil well spilling and I think did it also light on fire? And it was like oh, every yes. day more oil spilled than had ever been spilled in any single oil accident ever. And it like polluted the whole Gulf of Mexico. And I remember feeling all of this urgency, like, oh, every day it's the biggest oil spill that's ever happened. And it went on for like weeks. Yeah, yeah. And then it just disappeared from the news. It, that's true. And the, the thing with oil spills as well is that, yes, that obviously their, their impact is disastrous, but there are things that we do on a daily basis in, the, in that sort of the fishing industry that cause infinitely more harm oh, <laughs> that end Jesus. up like well, affecting longest change. Fair <laughs> um, enough. And actually, this is so unrelated, but I watch Fantastic Fungi on Netflix uh, and there's some amazing new um, ways that we can actually utilize fungus to break down oil. Um, and That's it's so it's funny. Incredible. The guy I'm dating yeah, tried to yeah. make me watch that and I made him watch uh, Married at First Sight instead. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's good too, but I, I suggest everyone watch that. It's so cool. Like, it's such an underutilized thing that can help us in, in everything from pollution to medicine to carbon capture. I, I think they'd mentioned that, like, only about 20 to 30% of carbon actually is captured, like, by by trees, you know, above mm. ground, where mm-hmm. 60% actually gets capt- is able to be captured and stored underneath ground using mm-hmm. f- using fungi yeah it's mm-hmm. just it's incredible so definitely give it a watch well i only um, brought the deep water up to say that that professor jody freeman she ended up having to leave i think later in the semester to go work for the obama administration he was poaching all of the professors when i was a 1l and um because he had just been elected 
And I saw her commenting on it. I was going to have her on to talk about it, assuming she answered my email. But maybe I can get a little <laughs> panel panel going with uh, George here. Yeah, for sure. That would be amazing. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And like I said, I won't keep you, but thank you so much. I, I love um, I love this platform and I love everything you're doing. Uh, despite all the criticism, you know, about what you don't cover, I, I don't think anybody quite covers <laughs> the topics like you do. Um, and I personally learn a lot from it. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, B. I learn a lot from you guys know how much I learn from you. All right, Andrew, I know you've been patient at the front of the line. I haven't forgotten about you. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind this evening. Andrew, did you think I gave up on you? Hey, I kind of hey. did, yeah, but I didn't actually hang up. How's What's it on your mind? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Tell me the name of that beer again. I'm like uh, also in Mexico, and there's not the most variety of beer, but I did just find a place that, well, not just a couple weeks ago. Are you in Mexico City? Has. No, I'm like an hour-ish west of there. Okay. Um, it's called Camelite. Blonde ale with chamomile and honey. It's a very subtle flavor, though. It's not like one of those kind of juicy summer beers. And it's by Urban Garden Brewing Company. And it's a very pretty can with chamomile flowers all over it. Okay. Well, I won't hold out too much of it. It sounds like very obscure. For <laughs> I think it's a D.C. Thing. local brewer, yeah. Okay. Well, I had some thoughts about um, housing stuff. I thought that was a good episode. I especially was happy to hear, I need to go back and listen to the first part. I started like a third of the way through, mm-hmm. but with the the kind of loopholes and like tax giveaways for affordable housing um, and also the stuff on Airbnb, I have some thoughts. Uh, my Oof, mom yeah. works in urban planning and like also rural planning as well, but I, we tend to have a lot of disagreements and we had just a long conversation a couple of years ago about affordable housing regulations and the, I guess they call them short-term rentals when they're talking about it in policy, when they're talking about like Airbnb stuff. But mm-hmm. the, um, the, the craziest thing to me about the affordable housing giveaways is like, it's pretty obvious to everybody that these are the same developers that are going to develop something anyways for profit and they mm-hmm. have to they have to cover a very narrow range of a checklist to get a really large incentive and the stuff that's considered like they, they tend to set affordable housing as a median income metric and they mm-hmm. say like it's affordable housing if it's like 110 percent of median income or in the best cases they say it's affordable housing if it's like 70 percent of median income so but they include the very richest in that as well, which drags it up. Yeah, not not only is that a weird way to to calculate for something that's not needed if you're very well off, but like even if you're, anyways, even if you think median is a good way to go, I don't understand on what planet seventy percent or one hundred and ten percent of the median median income means that we should pat a large company that's you know. Nowadays, most likely a subsidiary of BlackRock, just pat them mm-hmm. on the back and give them money for that. Um, but at the county level and the city level, they do regulate um, medium, not medium, affordable housing, and they also regulate short-term rentals. And my mom was working on one project on kind of the 
it's like sort of Eastern Washington, but it's not really way out there. Um, and they basically, they had such a problem with people owning short-term rentals that most of the police firemen and teachers in that County could not afford to live inside the County where they work. Mm, mm. And so they're like, yeah, we got to do something about this. And I don't like, like I said, we have political disagreements um, and I wasn't really able to convince her to push harder because what ends up happening is these cities, um, they outsource so much stuff. And this is in Washington where it's, you know, viewed as this kind of more left-wing state, but they still do all of the, the most egregious privatizing they can. And so, for instance, like in the city of Seattle, there's one single ecologist that approves every new development. And so they, they don't actually have time to do anything. So people who are, you know, a larger property firm, they're going to have enough money to hire whatever, um, whatever sort of environmental firm they want. They're going to say, yes, this gigantic high rise is cutting down all of the trees on the lot and is going to increase concrete surfaces by, you know, 80% or something. This has no, mm-hmm. this is a negligible environmental impact and that gets signed off. And that that's like a part of the, the reason so many of these housing developments can go up. But the other thing is when they do decide as a city or a county to, to slightly change their policy regarding housing, they tend to contract to a private firm if it's a more rural place or if it's a slightly smaller city, or even if it's a kind of mid-sized city like Seattle, they, they have a large planning department, so I assume they wouldn't, but they might just contract out to a smaller firm or even if it's the city planning department, they're not really like, they're not elected. They, they kind of go off of city policy, um, which is, which, you know, is, is technically changeable. But I guess what I'm getting at is there's already a lot of precedent for um, changing these types of like really bad trends. Sorry, I was just like mm. lifting up a bunch of stuff in the kitchen. So I'm kind of breathing, but <laughs> Sorry. I no, it's all good. Guard. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll just do all my chores. It's cool. But um, <laughs> no, I needed to do them anyways. But the my point is, uh, we've been talking like, how do we do stuff right now? There's no like third party landing pad for people to leave to. Um, but like if you've seen some of the gray zones coverage of these protests in Ecuador, they don't mm-hmm. really have, I mean, they, they did have a, a left party come close in the last election, but they didn't get in. I'm sure they're still around, going to come back. But the people just have, like, from the kind of indigenous side or from the sort of social organizations that aren't indigenous nations or kind of social organizations, they um, they just have 10 demands. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to just keep protesting until they're done. Um but also I think in the U S like, yes, protest on the demands and don't give up. Like there were so many cities that had um, some version of those 10 demands during the 2020 George Floyd uprising. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm not like blaming the people organizing. I think it's really hard to keep a protest going a long time, but um, people just kind of went home after there was solely rhetorical or like less than 1% of one part of the demand satisfied. Um, Mm. And I think we could easily get, you know, groups together who there probably already are in most states like a ballot initiative or some kind of legislative package that 
housing rights people have put together. People like, um, uh, wait, what's her name? Rebecca, who was on the show earlier? Mm-hmm, Rebecca Parson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or that other lawyer that just called in a minute ago. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, honestly, I'm not saying, Brie, go do this. I know you're busy as hell, but like a a handful of left media people could could try to convene like a council of housing attorneys or policy experts on this issue and get ballot initiative worthy or if there's somehow luckily a a party in the state that would take it through to the legislature but i'm kind of more for ballot initiatives anyways because you don't have to rely on career politicians even if they're Mm. local some of them can be very not rebecca very slimy Anyway, I'm I'm going on and on and on, but there already is regulation on all of these things that tend to favor um, business, and they occasionally occasionally limit it. Like Seattle put a a small limitation on um, on short term rentals, like on how many new ones they would permit mm-hmm. for, that would come in effect the next calendar year. And for what I was doing for work at the time, um, I was reviewing a lot of these sort of. Um, all the different permits and things for new developments in a number of cities around Seattle. Mm-hmm. And when that when that law was kind of the time was ticking down, and it wasn't even that restrictive of a law, they permitted like just in Seattle in a period of like three months, they permitted like, uh, you know, out of all the apartment buildings that were going up, they permitted like the total units of all the apartment buildings was probably like 8,000 and almost 2,000 of them were short-term rent, like designed to be short-term rentals for Mm. Airbnb or whatever. So like, even when they make a small, small tweak, it still ends up being kind of negligible. But what I'm saying is there's so much room and at the local level, it would, it would be really difficult, I think, to, to legally challenge uh, cities putting, you know, I think it would be, I think they would definitely legally challenge a city saying like i'm super for some of the recommendations your guests made like for instance just ban um investment firms from owning homes and apartments and just say okay we're gonna pay you market rate just use eminent domain and pay you market rate for these properties and then we're gonna run them as city housing like Mm -hmm. that would be excellent i would love i would love Mm -hmm. that um but i think that would for sure get slapped in court i'm not saying don't do it but i'm saying also you could put, um, you know, a restriction that says if you're going to get a tax break for affordable housing in this state, it's got to be 10% of median income or 5% mm-hmm. of median income. Mm-hmm. Or, and we're going to review all of the existing ones and take that money back. And that's still not going to get, you know, that's still not going to take homeless people off the streets um, because 5% of median income is like, that's not money you're going to get, even if you're working and you're homeless, which is like 40% of homeless people. Um, so there, there has to be like so many other things, but anyways, I love the episode. Thanks for coming back to me at the front of the line. I was, I was just like, Oh, well, <laughs> I'll call. <next laughs> no, time. of course, even, well, first of all, thank you for weighing in. I really appreciate hearing from people who are so much closer to the issue than I am. And also anybody who's in the front, you know, that even when I start skipping around, I still come back to the front. So don't don't distress. I just like to keep it a little lively and make people feel like it's still worth it for them to get in line, even if they're not, you know, one of the first 10 people in the room or whatever. Anyway, thank you also, again, Andrew. Please do yeah, tell ahead. us what what's up with the age of Aquarius. Wait, what is it coming in? The divine feminine? We're, is apparently we're entering the age of Aquarius. 
which we haven't been into in hundreds of years. And we have basically lost touch with like, I don't know if I might, I might be adding the word divine, but something like the divine maternal and that, you know, there have obviously been periods in human history where it's not about literally women, but you know, all of the things we stereotype as feminine, I have not been as valued culturally kind of globally. And that apparently there's a significant shift that's supposed to happen before 2025 Hmm. and it might get worse before. I mean, it's certainly going to get worse before it gets better, but this is going to be a period of transition into a whole new phase of humanity, which, you know, that's kind of exciting. I'm mad if that happens. Like we got to, I don't know when that wants to be a good new whole age. Well, it's definitely supposed to be more female (laughs) because of my own gender bias. (laughs) I think that means it's going to be better, but not necessarily. Let me, I'm trying to see if I can find anything other than this article about the song from hair. Maybe if I click on news. Oh, one yeah, day I ago. Like, oh, well, oh, no, maybe, no, there's ahead, more like, ex- maybe there's more like an exact uh, compass marker about the past, but I kind of thought these ages were like, yeah, like several hundred years. Cause they're all some subdivision of, 24,000 years or whatever the great year. Yeah, it's, she said it was like a long time. I don't know if it was hundreds. I don't know if it was thousands. You know, I don't remember. But it was a like an age. It wasn't like, a, you know, a Senate cycle. <laughs> hmm. I'll send you some yeah, non-astrological uh, yeah, prophecy stuff for you to consider. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love a prophecy. About for a while, and there's uh-huh. one that I... I uh, was just made aware of yesterday that are uh-huh. also similarly stating that we're, we're in an, but they're more like not based on astrology. They're based off of, um, uh, well, one of them could be cause it's a, it's a period of 500 years and another period of 500 years. And the other one is just that we're in a, we're in a window of a few generations that have to make a very consequential, consequential choice um, that will either be excellent and fix a whole lot of stuff or really not excellent. So anyway, I'll just, I'll send them and I'll hang up. I took a lot, a lot of time, but thank you very much. No, I look, I appreciate that you're even encouraging me in this. So <laughs> thank you, Andrew. I found an article from Vogue titled, what is the age of Aquarius and what does it mean for you? Spoiler colon. It's something major. When does the age of Aquarius start? The exact starting date of the new age is up for debate. Some astrologers suggest it starts on the vernal equinox on March 20th, 2021 in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, blah, blah, blah. What does it mean? We're moving out of an Earth age and into air, says this expert named Kelly. If we look past the look at the past 200 years, we can see that we're in the middle of a climate crisis. We've really screwed up sustainability and we are struggling to figure out how to interact with the earth in a sustainable way. The age of air is coming not a day too soon. Kelly, who describes herself as an optimistic realist, (laughs) sorry, feels the next few years will be a real test of our humanity and potential for growth. Air, she says, is about communication and technology. It's about working with wind and not what we can take from the earth. It gives us an opportunity to look at our situation from a different vantage point. There will be more space travel, more wind and solar innovation, and less dependency on the earth. We will be required to use our intellect and the cerebral qualities associated with air to create new ideas and move the framework for what it means to be a human being. This requires a shift in perspective. 
the Aquarius is all about collective responsibility. I'm what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is the age of Aquarius is socialism. So, you know, this feels good. This feels good. This this is an article by Suzanne Scott from last January. If anybody's if anybody's interested in plumbing uh, those depths, let me go to Brian. I haven't seen you in here in a while. Hey, Brie. Good to see you. Happy hey, Pride. Brian. Happy <laughs> Pride. How have you been? Uh, I'm recovering. So I have two friends joining me. Oh, Joe is joining me this weekend. I'm like, you know who Joe is. <laughs> I do. That's my baby daddy. Hi, Joe. <laughs> LOL. Well, he's recently single. He'd be so mad at me if he knew I was. Oh, mm, I'm going in the DMs. No, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, he and my other best friend, Meredith, are coming for the weekend. That's who I brought, bought all the beer for. Um, so I, he has made a request that we're going to do pride things. So we're going to do pride things because they're funner Epic. anyway. So Epic. what's what's up with you? What's been going on in your world? Oh, well, um, it's very interesting timing that you did a housing episode because I get to just bitch about living in New York City because oh it's what getting expensive as fast. I live in Queens, not in Astoria, but in another neighborhood that's like, you know, getting gentrified or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was looking to move and right now I'm in a two bedroom with a roommate and mm-hmm. the prices now, um, so like, I don't mind disclosing this. I don't care. Whatever. We're mm-hmm. friends. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we like for the two bedroom, like total, it's like 2086. Like they just yeah. raised one bedrooms in my neighborhood to 2100 a month. So like, it doesn't make sense yeah. for me. It doesn't make sense. Like the shit is literally double. And I'm just yes. like, what the fuck? And then I thought I got like a really good deal um, for like this apartment in the neighborhood. That's only like, 1430 it's a pretty big studio 600 square feet oh, but then good. but then the broker was like oh your broker fee is three thousand dollars i was like i hate new york for those <laughs> brokers fees it makes no sense i was like you fucking tried it and it just dovetails with like the mayor the amazing mayor we have right now uh, because i don't know if you heard this but he was able to pass i don't know if it was the council or the board or whatever but um up until now uh rent stabilized buildings could only go up 1.5% a year and 2.5% for a two year lease. They just doubled it. So it's 3% for one year and 5% for two years. And I'm just like, "Mm, this is our thing. People don't understand. First of all, I would like to say, I mean, let me, I'm blowing up my friends, but whatever, both of my friends who are my age and who have, done that jumped through every hoop and did everything right in the world. Everybody, like I'm telling you, this is not like some fringe concern. They both have roommates. One of them has two roommates. Mm-hmm. They both live in Boston and are always complaining, lamenting that like one bedrooms there are like $3,000 and it mm-hmm. just is what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like my, 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 the girl, my girlfriend, she's always saying that like, we're always talking about how frustrating it is that it feels like, these prices are set and the apartments are designed with the expectation that you're living there with a partner and how shitty it is to be single <laughs> and how it feels like they're basically telling you, you cannot live without having a partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like, this is, this is what gives me hope about there being a tipping point that we are actually approaching because even my, like the people in the most kind of comfortable class cohorts cannot attain as they push 40 the most basic of like life milestones, like to f- forget owning. The goal here is like not having a roommate, 
by 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I wanted to do, but now I got to, like, actually get on OnlyFans if I'm going to, like, afford <laughs> to live by myself. <laughs> and, like... Do you have to stay in New York? Do, I mean, I, I mean, work for... I will... I mean, here's the thing. Like, I really empathize with you in a lot of ways because I do have, like, a lot of, like, relative privileges. Like, I, li- I work for the city. I have premium free health care. Like, New York City pension. Ba 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 ba. So, like, I'm not... I'm not, like, struggling right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, we're in this, like, we're in this really, like, uh, donut hole where it's, like, we make too much to, like, actually, yeah. like, say that, like, we're, like, oppressed by class status. But then we don't make enough to, like, actually be in, like, the 1 or 9.9%. So, yeah, but I yeah. feel like that's kind of – I mean, you guys can be mad at me for being bourgeois. Like, I fully am happy to be checked. But sometimes I feel like that's a weird, like, an interestingly good sweet spot in terms of revolutionary potential. Because I, I do feel guilty about saying, oh, well, you're the, you know, you're the poorest. You're the most vulnerable. You should be in the street. But, like, no. There's a certain way that people who have relative means and a little bit more liquidity and also a certain amount of privilege and status and power in terms of having, like, let's say you have a legal degree. You know how to work through the court system if you were to get arrested and all those kinds of things. Like, it makes me feel like maybe it is going to be that tier that revolts first. They they have enough flexibility in their life and enough exposure to what, the, you know, what how the system could be and how some people are living to get very, very, very angry about it. And that sense of elite entitlement driving them <laughs> that they mm-hmm. might actually be willing to burn it all down because they don't own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't own the house that's on fire so they don't give a shit maybe that's me being overly optimistic but sometimes I do see a lot of revolutionary potential in that cohort because they really don't have anything to lose they don't have kids they don't have property mm-hmm. but they do have you know the ability to hop on a plane and go to a protest they do have enough liquidity to you know perhaps take time off of work or you know do those kinds of things I agree. And like the ideology is over there because that cohort age wise is like millennial slash Gen Z, which like mm-hmm. o- those two groups overwhelmingly went for Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. So I definitely agree with you. But I think y'all talked about this in the podcast today, too. Like the nefarious thing about the housing stuff is that it is kind of pitting like the middle class mm-hmm. versus like the destitute because mm-hmm. we see that in New York where like they did put people into hotels and like everybody like in the Upper West Side lost their shit. So that's so weird to me. That so that happened to me, like not happened to me, Ella. But in my old apartment during I was in during COVID, I'm pretty sure that they they did they converted the hotel that was right across from my place at Dupont into uh, homeless housing. And it like the only reason I know that is because it used to be only white people who stayed in the hotel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and suddenly, like there was a front facing balcony facing the front of my window, and suddenly I was like, oh, this hotel got a lot more diverse all of a sudden. And then I kind of mm-hmm. figured out what was going on. Yeah, and it just it was like a non-issue. Like it was a non-issue. I don't know. I just don't understand. I mean, I understand that I don't know things can happen, but it just and with all that was going on, with all of us not leaving our houses anyway, with protests going up and down the streets, the idea that you would spend energy being mad that somebody found a house in a hotel that would otherwise be empty, I don't get it. Right, because it wasn't even the apartment complex; it was the hotel. Like it's not. Yeah, it's, house. A, it's a hotel. So, like, um, yeah, but you know, like I had great I, French toast there too. Yeah. <laughs> they talked about in the podcast, like how um, what is it, equity that covers pensions, like buys mm-hmm. up a lot of these places, and like that's the thing. Like my mom is not like conservative with a hard C, but like when we were talking about like the general election in twenty twenty, and I was not like 
I was not thrilled about Biden by any means, but like, mm-hmm. she was like, well, I don't know, Brian, because like, I do think Trump is a dick, but my 401k is doing really well and I'm about to retire. Mm-hmm. And like, the reason why these 401ks are doing well is because like, they're, you know, um, rigging the housing system and like mm-hmm. getting into all of these like, um, real estate equity assets and stuff. And I just, I do think that it's, uh, sucky that like, we're getting pitted against each other instead of like the 99 versus the 1%. Yeah. I, that's, I have to think about who would be a good guest to talk about untangling that maybe like a Giannis type. Mm -hmm. Um, because that does seem to be a really significant problem and it affects, like I just, you know, I had my 15 year reunion and there are conversations that I don't bring up anymore because kind of half of us are in one kind of social situation and, and the system is working for them and half of us aren't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us are in $8,000 a month San Francisco apartments. Holy fuck, how? And some of us are have two roommates. <laughs> oh, because they work for Facebook and they get... Oh, my God. My my roommate's ex-boyfriend worked at Facebook. Their perks are amazing. Like, not only do they get a salary, but they get catered lunch and catered dinner, free gym membership, open bar. Like, they basically, like, don't pay for anything except like their rent like it's like insane <laughs> yeah i mean this the person i'm thinking of doesn't literally work for facebook although i do have another friend from college well you know friend of a friend from college uh and we were talking at the reunion and i remember when he got his job we were i mean I'm, it was back before facebook was evil i mean you know before we understood it in the public consciousness in that way i mean it was very early on i and i was in college when facebook came out and i we were all jealous of him. Like he, he got the job at the cool company right out of college when startups were just being invented and all of that stuff. And when I spoke to him at the reunion, he was, seemed so anxious to leave. It's like the tide had completely turned and he seemed kind of jittery and like very, very anxious to leave and like weirdly unsettled about the whole thing. And it was such an interesting turn of fate. He works in like their policy department, which I, cannot be fun right now (laughs) yeah um i don't want to take up too much time but i'll just close that i do think that like we need to get eric adams out of here in 2025 so for me the most salient point like the the elevator pitch is this motherfucker raised our rent he's got to (laughs) go amen to that amen to that like let's let's hope the left can get it get together by the next election season huh fingers crossed like we had the last time around yeah but i hope you have a great weekend with joe and tell him i said that like i'm single as well (laughs) i will he's about to be so mad at me but i definitely will (laughs) i'm kidding have a good night you too brian bye Uh, bye okay let's go back to the front michael how are you doing I'm doing great, Brianna. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, I had a bunch of other much more relevant and gracious and thankful comments about today's episode because it was a great episode. But let's get the skinny on Age of Aquarius, right? <laughs> so as an Aquarius sun, Virgo moon, Scorpio rising uh, with zero retrogrades in my chart, I feel like I am... <laughs> The poster child for the energy of the age of Aquarius. Uh, Are you guys ready? But we are an air sign. Mm -hmm. Um, And as such, it gets like this sort of interesting combination of traits that like 
the 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 horseshoe dude bros of America would would call feminine, but that really aren't like things like reading or like um, <laughs> like technology communication. Um, so it's really more like those sort of just general traits, energies, but also like when you talk about ages and sort of shifting out of the Piscean era and into the age of Aquarius, more being that like when you talk about sort of businesses or countries or global movements that they will be sort of characterized by the energy of Aquarius. So characterized mm. by thoughtfulness about like the interconnectivity of different systems or um, like I said, like advancing technology, innovation, um, sort of people first thought is also often attributed to kind of the quote unquote water bearer aspect of being an Aquarius, mm. like being very like personable and whatever. But mm. yeah, I'm fully with you. I have literally my number one claim to fame, number one claim to why I'm a socialist is because I just feel like it's in my birth chart and I just feel like it's coming and I just feel like it's unavoidable. Um, yeah, but you, I'm, I'm yeah, go ahead. You know, no, that's it. That's um, it. Aquarians are great. I, as a fire sign, I am inclined toward air signs. Mm. I would not recommend dating them. <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, don't. Definitely don't. Definitely but they're don't. great people and friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely um, don't. I <laughs> you, you I can't know. lie. Like definitely don't. <laughs> like, there will not be emotional intimacy. There will be a sudden end to the whole thing. <laughs> my own grandmother, my grandmother's an Aquarian. And if I will call her after a long lapse and she will be trying to get me off the phone talking about, well, I don't want to hold you up, and I'll be like Barbara Jean, I called you. <laughs> like, what are we doing? But she, there's this like constant like distance. This kind of like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. Like, oh, I don't want to be the one inconveniencing you. So I'm gonna have this kind but of solitary, right. isolated vibe. Exactly, it's very intellectual. It's not. Like yes, the, she's the a lack poet. Of emotional intimacy <laughs> is that it's like a feeling of well, I know my passion or like my Aquarianness comes out when I have the freedom to think in my own terms. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, a an expression of love or like a gift. Yes. Like, oh, I want to give you the time and space to like operate in your thinking. Let me like be yes. a fly on the wall of your brain. Let me let you get what's off your chest for an hour if you have to. But then like you realize normal people don't have to do that. So you're like, oh, shit. Yes. I'm just being like weird and aloof and like writing to myself. A weird don't. and aloof. Yes. Now, I, <laughs> I also like. I can get down with that. I like a lot of alone time. I'm a Leo, so I'm like a lion Mm. insofar as I have spurts of a lot of frenetic activity where I get a lot done, and then I'm out for hours, like recouping. I I now have realized I used to feel guilty about it and think, oh, Brianna, you're a lazy bum. You don't have a real job. But then I realized it's part of my process. Like if I'm doing something like this, if I'm recording an episode or something, I need at least as much time as I was on the air off the air immediately after to find my bearings again. Cause you're, you're like, especially not, I mean, this is more casual, but conducting an interview or being on rising or something, you're kind of at attention. You're, it's like being in an interview, you know, a job mm-hmm. interview. You're, it's not just having a conversation. You're hyper-focused and tense and on alert and hyper-vigilant for an hour, two hours, three hours. And afterward, I can't just go into the next thing. I need to watch, you know, something really terrible. Yeah. Which, by the way, oh, I've been watching this terrible cartoon on Netflix. Netflix, Amazon, 
one of those about the hype beast. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I wish. Please put us on. It's it's called. Please it's got a really catchy jingle. Jingle. It's called uh, hype beast cartoon. Wait, hype beast cartoon hype beast. Amazon. Uh, it's called Fairfax. Anyone know? Oh, okay. Yes, this did uh, did drop into my watch later. I think it's Amazon Prime. Yes, it is. You got me, guys. (laughs) Guilty. Gotcha. Uh, Gotcha. But yeah, I need to watch like three episodes of this. And also, if I start watching something and it's too good, like I started watching Uncle Jeff, Uncle Joe, Uncle Frank, Uncle Frank with um, Paul Bettany, and he plays like. This little girl's gay uncle in the 70s, and he's like closeted oh, to everyone. Yeah, but she comes yeah. and finds they out, and they have this good time. And, and yes, yeah, right. I started, I was like 30 minutes into this. I said, No, this is too good. Like, I need it to be right. not good. <laughs> like, I'm too right, engaged. Right. I'm going to be too emotionally involved in this. Like, let me stop this, save it for later. <laughs> yeah. I need trash right now. Yeah. So I've been watching Fairfax, is what I'm saying. But re Amazon, uh, but re, um, the age of Aquarius. I found another little tidbit. I was gonna. I was gonna tell you. Also, I obviously have to go out with a song from here. Of course. I, mean, I had another song queued me. up. I was gonna do. Um. You know. Uh. You know when um, Bernadette Peters was on the Muppets, and she sung that song about how like all you need is one person to believe in you, and it makes me cry every time. I should. <laughs> uh, my age might be playing a prom right now. Oh, you're no very shit. young, huh? Yeah, I'm a little babe. Okay, yeah. so this was like before my time. This is probably in the early '80s. This came out maybe late '70s. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. should. Oh, maybe, maybe. Oh, no, I'm really conflicted. Okay, okay. Just let me play a little <laughs> bit of it. Let me just play a little bit of it, and you can cry with me because I won't be playing it at the end of the episode, guys. This is the this is the vibe. What I'm about to do. This is the vibe that I think could really bring us all together and solve all the nation's problems. Someone made fun of me for saying they should be playing better music at these protests and stuff. I really do feel the unifying power of music. And I think the sixties and seventies got that right. And we need more protest music and more music that speaks to our spirit because I mean, look at this. To believe in yourself. If just one person in you deep enough, strong enough, believes in you. Hard enough and long enough Before you knew it Someone else would think If he can do it I can do it Making it two whole people Who believe in you Deep enough and strong enough Believe in you Crying and screaming and shit in their Oh, the p- 
puppets are coming out. They all believe in the little frog. I'm being extra. I know I'm being weird. No, for the children. <laughs> no, really. No, really. Soft vibes for the revolution. Really. Really. It's the ticket. What, by the way, when Joe is in Meredith in town, we play a game sometimes where we just play sappy, dumb, nostalgic shit and make each other cry. <laughs> One time Meredith had a breakup and I just put on like multiple Carly Simon ep- ep- records. <laughs> I oh. just drank out of a bottle of wine and sobbed. It felt really good, guys. <laughs> okay. Like, this is the solidarity I'm looking for in 2022. <laughs> like, truly. Truly. All right. Um, well, I appreciate you for um, tolerating me, Michael. Of course. And then just one last, like I said, a just great episode overall. In the yeah, please. Stuff. So many people that I think even in the chat, like, I think I'd be like the fourth, fifth, sixth, something just moving like in the last couple of weeks and like, yeah, no idea what's going to happen this next however long period, but you know, we're here. So yeah, I definitely think there's, there's, um, it, it would be super dope if you could get like a, a Giannis Vilfarkis type or, or just kind of like figure out how do we, like, what are the sort of global examples to sort of how to leverage a movement build in this moment. I'm even kind of like been thinking out loud and, and like imagining like what's like an Arab spring connection with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely think there's a there there uh, to quote you. Um, mm-hmm. And last random update. So call in with this clipping feature, right? Mm-hmm. Like any, any love, any anything, or are they just saying like screen record? And I haven't people- asked about it. Let me. I see Charlie in the chat. Charlie, who works for Colin, I haven't emailed you about it, and I don't, I'm not trying to call you out, but you hear the people are are calling for the clip feature. I will say, I I do think I could get more. Like now, if there are a lot of people in the episode, the episode does a certain amount of numbers afterward. But before with the clip in, I felt like I could kind of generate interest in an episode, even if there hadn't been a lot of people in the room initially, because no one wants to like click on a link and come over. It's having like the little audiogram, being able to play a little video on, on Twitter was very useful. So Charlie, you see the people are clamoring for it. Just putting that out there. And any, and any other call in employees who might be listening. All right. Thank you, Michael, for that reminder. Thank you. Thank you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right. Let's go to the back of the line and talk to Derek. What's on your mind, Derek? Ooh, Derek wasn't ready. Here he comes. That was kind of scary. You got to be ready, right? (laughs) Everybody's got to look alive. It's like, oh, shit, she's going to say me. (laughs) <laughs> um all right uh thanks um keep up the good work by the way i'm a fan 
Thanks, Derek. What's on your mind this um, evening? All right. The answer to uh, are we radical enough is mm. no, mm. in my humble opinion. Um, I don't. I don't think it would take much to to transition to more effective kind of movement. Mm -hmm. um, but people are going to have to, I think, uh, leftists, progressives slash revolutionaries are going to have to uh, acknowledge that without independence, they're dead in the water. They're not going anywhere. Their influence is easy to contain and dismiss. Um, so I think a transition has to be made from having a mentality of confronting like everyday people uh, to converting. What does that um, look like in your, in your mind's eye? Well, instead of, you know, if, if uh, you come across a, an independence or a libertarian, instead of assuming the worst, uh, you assume the best and mm -hmm. work from there and try to find, uh, you know, issues uh, that you're on the same page with. Mm -hmm. A lot of independents and libertarians are very passionate about all kinds of issues that leftists, progressives, revolutionaries, uh, at least say they prioritize. So um, moving on from there, I'd say mm -hmm. uh, everything's got to be on the board. All, uh, all possibilities should be considered. Um, if that means infiltrating the libertarian party. I think that would be wise. Mm. I would recommend. Um, you've got the structure there. The movement for a People's Party does not. Mm. Green Party people, you can barely get them to chit chat about anything. They're, they seem to be very content with losing. But but why? Let me ask you this though. Let me. If the idea is to have to take over the liber Libertarian Party because we're obviously not libertarians and don't agree with them on most things. Economic then, issues, primarily. I wouldn't say most things. I mean, having done this show with Robbie, I really do appreciate that there is overlap with foreign policy. But you say that we agree on economic issues, but there's a pretty big difference between let's just get rid of the government, let's get rid of the EPA, the markets will test our medicine for us. And oh, no, I'm, say, saying, I'm saying we don't agree on the economic oh, issues. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If okay, I good. Miss, if I misspoke, my fault. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay. the right to choose, the right to choose right now, front and center. Yes, although I will say, board. you know, I don't mean, I'm not trying to start beef, and I really appreciate Robbie, but he hasn't been as vocal about that as one might expect as a libertarian. Right. But again, you know, I'm, I'm not saying become a libertarian mm -hmm. or support libertarian candidates. I'm talking about infiltrating the party. Okay, so, but then my, my question was, why why do you think it's better? And I'm, I'm this isn't confrontation, I'm just asking. Why do you think, in your mind, is it better to infiltrate the Libertarian Party rather than infiltrate and take over the Green Party since at least you already have the ideological alignment? And if the issue is the Green Party isn't being led well, apparently, you know, well, that yeah, you could do that. Anybody paying attention to anything about the Green, or sorry, the Libertarian Party knows that it's wide open. Um, they've kind of had their own issues with being infiltrated in a way um so they're susceptible assuming that you know they don't rig their presidential primaries i mean that's basically what i'm talking about is going for the executive branch um and in the process bring along a bunch of independents who are not in any way interested for, from my talking to them at least 
uh, in joining the Green Party or the Movement for People's Party, which they've never fucking heard of, um, you know, they're open to the Libertarian Party and leftist progressive revolutionaries are fully armed to the teeth with the arguments uh, that are necessary to convert them as long as they don't come at everybody as if they're the enemy, you know? I don't know. I mean, I guess I am a little skeptical. Well, first of yeah, all, you, should be. I, you know, I'm, the, I mean, it's debatable, but yeah, no, anyway, I hear sorry, you. I'm I mean, not, I'm not saying like, no, I'm just trying to work it through in my head because there's some period of time where you're very much in the minority within the, the libertarian party. You know, what does it mean? You're, so you're saying you're going to go ahead and disenfranchise yourself if you live in like half the states where there's closed primaries. Okay, fine. It's the same with the Green Party. But you are – what does it mean, you know, for most people well, I know – yeah, Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, it's well, just I'm some, an independent mm-hmm. myself, and I can tell you that uh, I don't have any interest in ever voting for a Democrat ever again. I mean, unless all of a sudden Democrats – get their shit together, start giving a fuck about democracy and do something about those primaries. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't have any interest in having my votes thrown in the gutter. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would definitely uh, assume that I am not alone among independents. And I think everybody else should assume that too. I'm not interested is, in... Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I mean, I guess this is my issue. Unlike, I mean, even to a greater degree than Republicans... Libertarianism has a very specific ideological bent. You can, I can more easily imagine a Republican who believes in like, healthcare should be a human right, for instance, than I can a libertarian because you know it's like being it's about like, like being Catholic. You either think that Jesus died for your sins or you didn't, and you don't get to be Catholic if you don't think that. Right. Like that's just definitionally what it means. And same with libertarians. Either you think the government should be small and almost non-existent or you don't or you're not libertarian. And so what does it mean to be a leftist that takes over a libertarian party? It's just not a libertarian party anymore. Right. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. Transform it. I don't know. Like how who would who would even take you seriously as an as a person within the libertarian party? The extent that you could get any position of power and authority if your ideals are so diametrically opposed to those of, of the party. Do you know what I'm getting at? I, I'm not like against it. I'm just really trying to figure figure out what that looks well, like. Well, they have their own internal debates going on about uh, economic financial issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the party and its members seem to be solidly on board with uh, basic things that leftists and progressives and revolutionaries prioritize mm-hmm. say they prioritize mm-hmm. um yeah i'm not talking about like oh we find a libertarian candidate we can get behind i'm saying we we in we, we bring one in we infiltrate we bring in our own candidate you see what i'm saying but you know, what does like, the like, candidate say i, much- I mean like what does the candidate believe in that they could still credibly say i'm running as a libertarian all of those social issues and then enough of an economic financial um, angle to at least sound fucking reasonably connected, I would say is the best possible opportunity. But I think even that's expendable. As long as our votes are counted, they've got the structure all over the country in every state. They've got numbers. They've got independents waiting on standby, you know, which we could bring in as well. You know, a lot of independents don't want to bother unless they see 
the numbers. They know it's a waste of time with a party that doesn't have any structure and doesn't have the numbers. You know what I mean? But if, if we could, you know, go in. I mean, I, I think the big mistake is, and I, I think there's a good reason, you know, our K through 12 curriculum just did not cover the progressive movement in any meaningful way. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. like pre NPR, I mean, that's what progressives did. They infiltrated, you could say both parties, but I mean, before, before progressives left the Republican party and entered the Democratic party on mass, I mean, that was a disgusting, repulsive piece of shit party. Not that it's all that great now, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, you know, their history. I mean, they fought tooth and nail to prevent women from mm-hmm. getting the right to vote. They were pro-segregation. That's basically the pro-slavery party mm-hmm. with KKK marches. So, I mean, it's not like it's never been done before, you know. And within a very short period of time, that infiltration led to massive change. You know, there is no FDR without the progressives that entered that party. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't know. But I think a lot of this stuff's debatable. I just think we're not ready as long as we're not even willing to, like, debate certain things or argue certain things, consider them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a I'm not opposed. I'm just ask, so like like for me. Let's say okay, I'm on board. What does that mean literally for me? That means you become press secretary for the the candidate. Or you, okay, you, well, you, you just said this candidate. isn't about finding a good candidate, but now you want me out here being a mouthpiece for someone I absolutely not going to be agreeing with. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so, so for you're, example, you're because, insisting that the candidate isn't a leftist or isn't a progressive or isn't well, a rebel. No, here I'll tell you why. Because with the core issue for the left for the last five years, for better or for worse, has been Medicare for all. You're telling me that there's a libertarian candidate who's going to believe in massively expanding our health care, our, our government health care. Yeah, we bring them. Yeah, we supply that. What do you mean you supply that? That's, I'm saying that's part of the infiltration is we bring in a, in a candidate and run well, the candidate. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But, okay, but just a second party. ago you said it wasn't – I'm, I'm confused. I thought you said it a, while, a second ago that it wasn't about finding a libertarian candidate to get behind. Right. I'm, I'm saying it's about finding our own candidate and running them as a libertarian candidate through the primaries. In the lib- the li- okay, okay. And, you know, even even if we don't have a chance of winning, we still have way more visibility in pushing these ideas. You know, and and we could coordinate this with uh, trying to get the League of Women Voters to to uh, you know sponsor slash mediate any presidential debates or debates just ab- among uh, libertarian candidates. And you don't expect there to be hostility from within the Libertarian Party against this person who's an yeah, obvious interloper. Jesus, they're leftists such fucking goddamn bubble people that they can't handle it, though. You well, know? I'm asking, like, realistically, we saw what happened with Bernie trying to run within the Democratic Party. Is it going to be that kind of opposition? That's not a reason not to do it. But realistically speaking, Bernie wasn't no, successful. Leftists haven't been successful in the Democratic Party. Do you have the feeling that libertarians would be more open to this kind of a candidate than the Democratic Party was? I think they'd be just as hostile or less. You know, and I think there's a better chance of actually winning a primary. The one party we definitely do know there's no chance in is the Democratic Party. So, you know, any arguments that people are giving with the uh, Dementor, Justice Democrat, whatever mm-hmm. kind of delusions, 
that people have out there. I mean, they made it clear, crystal clear. We're done. They don't want us. They're never going to count our votes when it comes to the executive branch, you know, which means the judicial branch, basically the same thing. So. Mm. All right. Well, I'm interested to hear what, you know, people have to say if they went away and I see flyover man seems to be uh, on board with you. Let's go back to the front of the line for a second and hear from Jonathan. Cool. Thank you so much cool. for, Oh, sorry. Did you have something else? No, I was just saying, cool. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Derek. All right. Jonathan, care to weigh in on this or anything else? Jonathan? There we go. Can we hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. All right. Hold on. I'm driving, so I'm just looking for a place to pull over so I don't crash. Safety first, Jonathan. Yeah. No, you, well, you know how I feel about your rising segment, which, uh, <laughs> you know, like Babe Ruth, you called your play and you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Grand slam. It was spectacular. Uh, <sighs> also, a previous caller mentioned uh, Steve Key and Michael Hudson. They're both coming on Macro and Cheese. I think oh, not nice. this Saturday's podcast, but the one after, they're going to be on it together, actually. Sweet. Uh, I, so I thought I'd drop that in there. But uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the housing thing because that actually was, this was a fabulous episode and anybody who hasn't listened to it needs to. Like they brought up a lot of uh, like super important issues. And the one that really kind of uh, got me going was that psychological aspect that they, mm. they brought up. And I, I think I, I think I recently talked about it on one of Katie Halper's Collins, but mm. uh, you know, the Israeli carpool study uh, was basically one of those uh, psychological studies that kind of revealed the ways in which people contain multitudes. And, mm. you know, a lot of people's basic default setting is a communitarian impulse. But, uh, you know, there's we also kind of have within us this more, um, you know, psychopathic kind of utilitarian uh, impulse that can be primed. And the Israeli carpool study was uh, was done at uh, a set of carpools in Israel that were having tardiness problems with the parents. Hmm. And uh, as a trial at several of them, they instituted a the equivalent of a fifty dollar fine for parents that were late to pick up their kids. And then they found that the tardiness increased exponentially. Mm-hmm. And essentially what they found was these people were paying for uh, daycare. Primed, <laughs> yes, they had primed uh, their brains basically to think, well, I paid my fine. I can be as late as I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas before at the ones that didn't do it, the parents said they felt guilty because they were, uh, you know, affecting, uh, you know, the the free time of the employees and mm. the other parents and, and the kids. And like, that's all gone when you prime that instinct and a great mm-hmm. deal of propaganda, you know, particularly from the right and, and various, uh, you know, establishment elites uh, has been geared for years and years because this was known way before the Israeli carpool study. Like this goes all the way back to, uh, Oh, what's his name? The guy that's uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew. Um, real sinister guy, basically the father of modern PR. Um, I'm having a brain fart on the name. I'm but, Googling for you. Um, Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays. That's the guy. Yeah. It goes all the way back to that. And essentially like, you know, even framing like taxpayer dollars is designed mm-hmm. to, to prime that uh, kind of selfish, self-centered, uh, you know, not in my backyard type impulse. 
And mm. what they were talking about on there with uh, the property, you know, property owners uh, and, you know, that impulse that's been primed in them, you know, essentially to say, oh, I don't want my property taxes to be this high. I don't want to pay for new schools, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. And the, the ripple effects of that, like that is a critical factor. And it's, it, it's also, uh, you know, kind of if you can break through that. Uh, and find ways of breaking through that, uh, including things like an Austrian-style public housing program uh, that actually has good public housing that's not mean te- means-tested, uh, you know, that basically anybody can live in in these cities for a nominal cost, uh, you know, things that will instead prime the more communitarian impulse, uh, you know, you might actually be getting somewhere, but the current system is basically structured to prime like i mean that was such an important conversation like it, it really was like everybody who hasn't you know because sometimes people come in the calling and they haven't listened to the episode yet or they haven't mm. had time or whatever like go back and listen to this whole thing like they brought up so many points uh you know even the mention of uh of uh you know the uh world war ii era office of price administration like the the notion that this stuff is not, you know, like Biden's always saying, oh, this is not, I don't have the authority, all that yeah. nonsense. Like that, that's garbage. It's been done before QED. It's been demonstrated. Our lack of knowledge of basic history of this country, not to mention other ones is, is literally killing us. But yeah, this yeah. is fabulous. Look, well, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I, I've talked in this show about I, how I feel a push and pull between you know, feeling like there's topics that I want to cover and are of interest to me, but then a current news thing happens. I know probably people expect me to do an abortion episode. Monday's episode will be an abortion episode. Um, yeah, but like, I, I wanted to talk about this. When we're talking about this, I already reached out to guests. I want to talk about this and wanting to have episodes that are fun. And, you know, there's a mix of, you know, one, you know, tw- you know, 50% hard, you know, politics interviews, 20% culture wars, 20% pop culture. I mean, like there's like this weird mix. I'm trying to get the balance right all the time, knowing that as much as like people need their vegetables, I also personally listen to podcasts because I want some levity. And I thought that this might be a harder one for folks. I mean, it's longer. It's, it's got names of people that mostly you don't know, except for maybe Rebecca Parson. And, I, I wasn't sure if it was, you know, it's not the kind of episode you put out because you wanted to go viral on t- YouTube. I'll say that. But I'm glad that so many of you seem to have appreciated it. And um, I really, really enjoyed it as well. I, I really yeah. thought the guests played their different roles very, very well. And each brought something very different and important to the conversation. Yeah, it should go viral because, like, uh, you know, this is this was an intellectually stimulating and fun and and educational like i came out of there just feeling better and you know more knowledgeable and like i had a better understanding than i did before and i think most of us are frankly here because we like the particular palette that you have put together uh in terms of your episodes of you know serious uh topical timely and you know deep dive uh you know fun and entertaining all of that stuff like we're mostly all of us here because we like the distribution you've come up with. We love it, actually. 
So <laughs> just trust your instincts. They're, they're great. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I really, really do. Thank you, Jonathan. No problem. All right. Travel safe. Keep the faith. Will do. All right. Let's see. Let's see. I feel like so much pressure to pick. How about, um, let's go with, let's go with Shelly. Cause you're at the front and I'm, I'm trying to work on this gender balance here. How are you doing, hey, Shelly? How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. What's well, on your mind? I had a couple of direct messages that wanted me to bring up. If you happen to call on me since I was somewhat ahead in the queue to mention Matthew Ho and how, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, so I've shouted him out on the call in, in the radar today. Um, I saw but that. I, I really appreciated that. I know I need to have him on. I'm, I, I'm off. I'm going to be away next week and I'm a little concerned about the timing of it. And I was oh trying God. to think if there's a, a way to squeeze it in before I leave on my trip on Tuesday. Let, let me see what I can do. Cause again, yeah, like I, I mean, filmed two episodes today because I was hoping not to have to film over the weekend cause my friends will be here. But um, I might be able to do something on anything, Tuesday before my flight. Like an emergency call in, you know, mm. maybe you can, mm. maybe you can get him for that. And, you know, because you're trying to work them in, in a, you know, a timely manner because it's, it's like prescient now. So maybe that. I wonder, be has he been on any it. other lefty news? Like any of the people who have uh, like daily shows? Like, I mean, everyone's got the holiday, but like, you know. Breaking points or TYT or even I don't no. know whatever. Breaking points I mean, and TYT don't cover things like that. <laughs> I mean, they have. Do they not? I mean, she Crystal used to do candidate interviews and stuff. And you know, like what's what's his name? Sam Cedar. I feel like he does candidate candidate interviews sometimes. No. No. Mm-hmm. no. I mean, yeah, they do, but they're kind of more of like the same people that would vote for the Iron Dome. They interview. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I know. But anyway, so I'm just throwing that out there. But so I think because that was kind of the reason why I was hanging out because, you know, your title was Dem Exit, Time to Expropriate Homes, and Are We Radical Enough? And I think Derek touched on it. And so I guess whenever you say, are we radical enough, like, what is it that we think that radicalism looks like? Like, what's your opinion on that? I was I was thinking about this today as I was watching some radical branded content lol and i was thinking about how there's not a single thing that we hear or see that it hasn't been allowed no matter how kind of good it feels like i think about people i really really like and whose work i really respect who have books that have done well and i think to myself would this have been allowed if it if they if they thought either the book was that radical or if they thought people were going to take it and act on it in a radical way Maybe that's too cynical, but I, I just, I had that thought today. I forget what it was that I was watching or reading. Well, and I think I, I, think I would kind of tend to agree because I'm trying to think about, I mean, and not, and I'm not trying to like be nasty or be, because I think that there's, it's kind of like what you were talking about with Ben Norton the other day. Like there's room for every single group of people. Like it's not, not every person's job needs to be, you know, kind of as, aggressive or however it is that you want to put it forward. But I keep thinking about, I can't remember whenever people that work closely with the state department have ever tried to sue or shut down breaking points, but they have with the gray zone. Mm. 
Yeah. So I feel like there's one group of people that is actually challenging deep-seated state power, and there's another mm-hmm. group that they allow, and they don't mind. Yeah. And I so mean, I what think- is it? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, what is what is the saying? There's some saying about that. I just couldn't think of what it was. Um, there's it's like it was on the tip of my tongue before. I'm sorry, now I've forgotten it. But, yeah, the, but I, I mean, I agree. So I was I was thinking about that. You, I mean, you were asking me what does it mean to look radical enough? I guess it means, you know, to figure, to keep going and keep pushing the envelope until someone starts to try to shut you down. But more concretely, I mean, that's for me from a kind of a media perspective. You know, I think about the fact. Look. I don't know if it's a thing. Maybe I'm just not interesting anymore, but I haven't picked up a single Twitter follower in over a year. Not one. Well, Brianna, I think, I think you know, that, <laughs> I think that if, if I had, if I had to weigh in on my opinion, I don't have any evidence for it. I don't have anything like that, but I think it's whenever you started branching out and getting people a little further, you know, you know I think that's true. It's, it started around last spring and, you know, until that point, the lowest number of new followers I had per month was about 3,000. The low On the low end, it never was lower than 3,000. And it average was like probably seven to 10,000 new followers a month. And it had been like that ever since I started really using my Twitter in you like talk to, You talk to someone they don't like. I mean, on, like, I know that sounds conspiratorial, but there's... Yeah, and I, and I don't bring it up but every so often because I know it sounds crazy. And every time I say it, some of those like neckbeard YouTube guys do a whole video on how butthurt I am or whatever the hell. Um, whoa. Yeah, because but, like, like that's part of the system of control as well, like to keep people yeah. from talking about it. Um, and so, and Twitter is, you know, that has, that has been where I was the most quote unquote powerful. I was never a YouTuber or anything like that. Twitter was my space. Anyway, that's all to say, like, that's from my perspective as a media person for a normal person. And again, this is like challenging to say, but you know, maybe we should get Ralph Nader back on, but you know, you gotta be disruptive. If you're standing in the, in the designated protest zone, which is if you're standing in the designated protest zone surrounded by 10 foot high metal fences and snipers on the roofs of the surrounding buildings aimed at your head, Mm -hmm. then it's probably not that useful. And I I don't want to be in a place where I'm just criticizing protesters and stuff, but like the, to me, the lowest common, like the lowest, the thing I'm most comfortable asking someone to do the lowest level of breaking the law that I'm willing to say out loud on a recorded device that I think is probably appropriate given the exigency of the moment is blocking traffic, doing a, doing a truckers, truckers, Canadian truckers boycott. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing that I disagree with whenever you see some of like the conflicts between like police and protesters is that Mm -hmm. you'll often see kind of like, um, and I get that the police are violent and they start it. But then you see people like there's always some dude bro that's like Mm -hmm. walking up to a guy with a baton and doing like a bring it on someone screaming in their face. You already know these people are violent. Like instead of like splitting off, instead of getting yourself into a situation where you're getting split and kettled, like just kind of try to make forward progress, like march forward and not like openly be antagonistic on a place. Well, yeah, I mean, there's traffic. There's theories about this, and obviously there was a strain of thought that was obviously successful in the 
you know, civil rights movement that said they, you know, they trained students on how to look most sympathetic during the protests. And there was another group of people that says like, that's not our job. You're kind of playing by their rules. You're not making them sufficiently uncomfortable. But at least at that time, there was enough kind of open hostility and violence against folks. And there was enough ignorance about what the conditions were really like in the mainstream so that even when, when those kinds of confrontations got aired, it did affect public opinion. Today, we're not in the place where we're trying to like convince people that racism exists or anything. And so I'm not entirely sure that that kind of demonstrative protest is as useful. Yeah. No, what I'm you know, talking that kind about of... is, is more of a middle ground. Like, it's not necessarily that a couple of people break out and choose to instigate violence. I'm talking about that if it happens, it happens as a group and it's, it's like a known thing. So it's like you have a, a decent middle ground. Like, you're not coming in there to look weak, but you're not executing any type of pushback until, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, now we go. But also... Just because um, one of the big questions, like whenever we're talking about radical enough, I feel like th- like we're talking about we've been talking about electoralism and third parties for a little while, but like why haven't we been talking about just which party we want to get behind? And I don't necessarily think that um, the Libertarian Party is a good way to go. Um, though I well, why not? Let's hear your case against the Libertarian Party. Well, they're probably my second choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's your first choice? Green, Green Party. Yeah, Green Party is my first choice, but the Libertarian Party is absolutely a, a good option. But mostly because um, I can't think of any other group of people that agree with me more than the Libertarian Party, especially the Mises Institute, the Scott Horton brand of libertarianism. Um, they are very anti-imperialist. And I can get down mm-hmm. with that. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like their domestic economic policies. Um, there might be some common ground we can make with them. But I do think that there is at least a sufficient amount of the Green Party that also has very, very close um, policies on anti-imperialism. But they also agree somewhat domestically. So that would be my choice. But I would just kind of think it's not, like, not my choice or your choice. I'm just trying to figure out when it is that we are going to try to get together collectively and figure out if we are going to actually pursue a third party, then we're just going to have to get behind a third party because we're not going to win. Like the first time we try it, we won't win. It's, it's about proving a point. We can argue later on about which one to get behind. I think we just have to yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I said this on Rising the other day. I'm sorry to just preface every sentence by I said this on Rising. But I, 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 I do feel like in conversations, there was a question about, oh, maybe this was today. There was a question about how to communicate with people who are not your ideological allies. And I think it is much easier to convince somebody to be critical of their own party and to even come to terms with rejecting their own party if they feel like there's somewhere else to go. Because, you know, as much as I hate Democrats, I'm personally Brianna Joy Gray not booing Republican. And Republicans feel the same way about Democrats for reasons I completely respect because I don't want to vote for Democrats. <laughs> um, so the conversation can get, like, weirdly defensive unless there's a landing zone for us both to meet at in the middle somewhere. And without having identified, I think you're right, what the best option among the parties out there are you know, we don't have that landing zone. Now, I personally 
you know, I was, I was hopeful about forward party. I wanted it to work, but to me, and I said this on right the end of the day, to me, it would have to, they would need to commit to not backing candidates to take corporate money. And they are not doing that at least at I, this time. My problem is Andrew Yang goes like, no, as long as you're part of the forward party, I'll do a Democrat or Republican. No, none of the two parties. Neither Democrat or Republican. Hands well, I mean, it's, I mean, it, they won't be Democrat or Republican if they're forward. I mean, the idea, every everyone who's going to come to it is probably coming from one of those places. I mean, technically, I'm a registered Democrat. So if I became a forward member, I would be one of those Democrats he was talking about, right? Or at least well, I was no, a registered no, Democrat in New York. About, I'm talking about the candidates that they, that they put forward. Like, I, I, won't, I won't ever vote for a Republican either. But now what we're talking about is the, talking about getting out Dem exit. And if forward right. So what? So are you saying? Are you saying that if let's say Ilhan Omar decided to run as a forward party, even though she's obviously a Democrat, you wouldn't support her because she was once a Democrat? No, it's not necessarily that. I mean, maybe I'm incorrect. I thought it was like, it's like forward party and like you run forward party, but mainly you're a part of another party. Oh, I maybe I'm misunderstanding it because. I, I just presumed the whole point was that you were running outside of one of those two parties. No, no. He's talking about he'll endorse anyone as long as they at least. Well, that's his. Ind- wait a minute. That's his. In- his endorse him endorsing people is different than being than running as a forward party candidate. No, because the whole point of like people like Marianne talking about running and then doing a dirty break um, is to do a dirty break into the forward party from the Democratic Party. So if it's the same thing. I'm just, maybe like maybe neither of us really we need some clarity about what's going on. But to me, the point is I'm talking about a forward party candidate. And so what I'm saying is I was really looking forward to the, the idea of a forward party candidate. And I don't mind if people run as, you know, who are formerly Republicans who run as forward party people. But it seems to me that the bare minimum has to be not taking corporate donations. Like, I don't understand what the point is if you're going to recreate the same pernicious incentives. Well, then let me and they, they won't do that. Let me get off here so you can take another caller, um, but maybe it might be a good thing to get Andrew Yang on and talk about four party strategies. If we're going to try to choose a party, a banner to run under, maybe that would be a good, at least a good starting point. Yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, I wasn't trying to rush you up. I was just trying to get to the other parties. So four party aside, to me, green is an obvious go. And sometimes it does frustrate me the way that people talk about green party, like, oh, it's got these flaws. Therefore, I'm going to completely abandon it when none of us, I mean, I can't speak for myself. I certainly haven't ever tried to meaningfully participate, help in any way, take a leadership position, offer my services as a, like I've never done. So for me to be like, Oh, I'm more excited about Andrew Yang's party or to start something from scratch or MPP when green party has been there like working, trying to get ballot access, like holding ground for all of these years doesn't, and plus has the best platform without any compromises of anybody out there, including Bernie Sanders. I don't, I just don't, it feels, it doesn't sit right with me. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. I, I, at this point, I don't necessarily care. I just want to choose a third party amongst each other. Yeah. Well, so me personally, I would choose green. But I also know that to the extent that I'm looking for a landing pad for, let's say, other dis- disaffected libertarians or independents or something, I do think that that kind of branding around green might be off-putting just like liberal uh, Democrats are. Yeah, yeah, that that is also something. But that's, I think, the reason why 
you know, we need to start having these discussions. If we're going to be radical and we're going to be serious, then we need to start actually talking about them and, you know, maybe having some of these like tough discussions about what, what we go with and, and it's, it might be disappointing to some people, but if you're talking about the strategy is to make a push to show dissent and to break power, then you just all go under the thing that people can at least agree on. To be honest, if it happens, you know, whatever happens in the next presidential election, who knows at this point, my inclination would be to say, if it's just about symbolically showing Demexit, we should pick whatever party is on the ballot in most states. And honestly, that's probably going to be green. No? Green. Uh, I live in the Deep South, so libertarian, but I would vote. Right. We, we always have a Green Party candidate. If just the general sense of broad leftists was green, then I would vote green. Yeah. So maybe maybe it is maybe it is libertarian just for that symbolic reason. But that's also you know that's going to be different in blue states. It, the I think the bigger point is is that are are libertarians not on on the ballot in blue states? I thought the idea was that they had enough financing that they were pretty much on the ballot everywhere. I thought that was a Derek's point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do, but that's another thing. Like I don't know enough about it. I just know that there are always libertarian parties on in my state in the deep south. So that that would have to be another like leg of the conversation that we have. Um, and you, somebody and you have says, to- you know, yeah, somebody says Labor Party, and it is frustrating that even like MPP, like people don't just call things Labor Party. I, I've been everyone's been listening to those clips of that um, that British bloke who's uh, I don't know what his title is. Sorry, Mick Lynch. Mick Lynch. He's the head. He's like yeah. The- union yeah he's great <laughs> he handles all of the questions about being a marxist and what your political I- 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 ideology is so beautifully in a way i mean it could come across as a dodge you know or being evasive about your beliefs in a way that could be off-putting to me as someone who you know does like left politics but it's something that i mean it's it's a really important skill it's got that kind of burniness of being able to toe the line without seeming like you're being sneaky and evasive. You got to try to find, I think there was a poll that was taken recently that basically beforehand, most people were against the rail strike and just Mick mm-hmm. Lynch's media tour put him in the positive to where mm-hmm. now most, it's not like, it's not like a 10 point majority, but he, mm-hmm. he basically did like an eight point flip just from his media tour. Hmm. Yeah, I believe it. Look, people always talk shit about me and feeling like there's so much power in comms, but I see no, it all I the don't. time. I see it all the time. So lessons lessons to be learned from him. Thank you so much for calling right, in, Shelly. So bye, bye. I'm going to bring up. So here's the thing. John is saying interesting things in the chat and I'm inclined to call on him, but I'm seeing that red is at the front. And also, I don't remember seeing this avatar ever. So let's maybe end on red. Red, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Ew. Ew. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I just got it on working. I'm all right. How you doing this evening? I'm doing okay. I'm still working, LOL. <laughs> uh, it's going to be you right now. It needs this downtime right now. I've been pissed off since last week. Yeah. With all this shit. All I, man... I just want to say right now, everybody, get out. If there was any, if there was ever a point in time for people to just look, if y'all needed like that flash from like that movie Get Out, 
This overturn from Roe v. Wade is the damn flag. Get out. Get the fuck out. Get out of the party. Get out of the country. I'll just get the fuck out. All this shit is pissing me off right now. Oh, man. Just get out. Yeah. I've been out since 2016. I couldn't do it no damn more. What do you mean you got out? What do you mean by get out? Like leaving the country, leaving the Democratic Party? What do you mean? I got out of the Democratic Party 2016. Yeah. I saw that vote for Hillary went straight down the toilet. (laughs) And we got Trump any damn way. (laughs) Can I ask what part of the country you're in? I'm from Chicago. Okay. Yeah, how are things Uh, in Chicago right now? Crazy as hell. Yeah. Especially depending on what parts that you're in right now. But... I wanted to, but I do want to ask you a question about like a socialist alternative mm-hmm. because we do have them over here in Chicago, mm-hmm. but my thing is this, and I was working alongside with them because I was out there campaigning and like on the grounds for Bernie for 2020 and I was working alongside with them and they was like really trying hard to recruit me, but I'm just like, Oh, we did talk before. I remember you now. We talked about this, right? Nope. This is my first time here. Okay. I feel like I I talked to someone. I remember there was a, I'm presuming, sorry, a a black caller who called in talking about some of their issues with some of these. Oh, no. It was someone, they were talking about DSA, I think, actually, now that I think about it. Okay. So they tried to recruit you and you, you're like ambivalent about it for any particular. I mean, my thing is this. My thing is this, like, I live on the west side of Chicago in the Austin mm. neighborhood. So, like, everybody always talks about the south side, but the west side got, like, some of the highest murder rates and just, like, everything. So, Austin, West Garfield Park, East Garfield Park, even Humble Park for all the Chicago people out there that know it. Um, Red? Never... And I and I was talking to them, and it's like I never like okay, look, I'm look, I'm working with you guys because of Bernie, but I gotta be real with y'all. I don't never see y'all in the hood. And mm-hmm. as I said once again, get out, get the hell out. Yeah, let me tell you something, Red. This is gonna be an uncomfortable truth. They're not gonna go there unless you're a part of the organization. And you take them there and you recruit other people from there. Do you know what I mean? I I had this thought again at the Supreme Court protest because whoever organized it, all of the speakers, at least when I was there, were black. They're from a particular um, black women's advocacy group with the really cute name that I'm now forgetting. And Afini is part of that. Right. And that's why she was there and she was speaking. But the crowd was all white. And I had, again, this thought like, okay, the idea, I mean, these are people who work in their communities and are very involved and all that stuff. The idea of having these black speakers is kind of, you know, to have representational diversity, but there's no diversity in the actual crowd. And, you know, if these people are in their communities, why aren't their community members at all represented in this crowd in front of the Supreme Court? And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, maybe they can't take off at four o'clock on a Friday to be here in the way that like all of these young white college girls can. Okay, fine. Like there's some of that, but if, if we're in a place where the day that Roe is overturned, we can't mobilize brown or black or poor or working, more working class people to kind of get bodies out. Then is that an indictment of the whole project in and of itself? 
And nah, nah, we, I'm gonna say this. okay, but maybe not. But I do think that we do need to start figuring out ways to bring people, <laughs> bring people in with us. I've told this before. I'll, uh, I'll stop after this. But the day of Bernie's big rally in Queens, or like the few days before when we found out it was happening, because it was all last minute done, you know, in the wake of the heart attack and all of that. Right. Uh, when they told me the plan, my immediate thought was, oof, this is going to be a bit of a PR problem because the biggest housing project in New York is right across the street from that park. And there needed to be, in my view, some effort to reach out to the people who live there, let them know what was going on, get some community buy-in. So the story wasn't, you know, 20,000 white people from Manhattan descend on Queens Park, leave mess, cause noise disruption, ruin Little League game, et cetera, et cetera. And when I brought that up, I mean, it's not that people were hostile to it, but they were so frenetic about, oh, we just have to plan the event. Oh, it requires all this infrastructure. Oh, we have to get all this permitting. There's not the there's not the man hours to get into those buildings. And my thought was, it's New York. It's concentrated housing. It's so much easier to walk up and down these halls and to waltz through some neighborhood in Iowa in terms of how many people per door. There are concerns about getting into the building, but you're telling me that you're the Bernie campaign trying to lead a populist movement, and you can't find anybody who has a relationship with the people in these buildings. And you know what? My boyfriend at the time, here comes his housing attorney again, he used to work in the housing um, – he used to work in Queens, and his first ever client lived in that building. Moreover, there's a large like Bangladeshi community, I think, in that building, and one of our um, – Video women in the video department, whose family is from Bangladesh, had done a project for Bernie on a family that lived in that building. That was the same family (laughs) that my my ex boyfriend had represented for housing reasons. So I'm like, okay, I have like me personally six degrees of separation. I know a whole ass family in this building by proxy. And you're telling me that no one can figure out how to partner up with just a few people, linger outside these doors for two days, strike up conversations, figure out if you can get, get some allies in the building, one who can let you in and walk up and down unlocked doors, and also talk to whatever community orgs that are have a relationship with them to get some buy-in from the community and get them to want to come out and join the crowd and provide some incentives for that and also talk to them for bringing. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands of people who live in these housing projects. And, no one, and that, there wasn't an appetite for that. So what I'm saying is these white people, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this because I'm bougie as fuck, but a lot of these white people (laughs) are just like not in the mental space to go in to a building like that and a situation like that and like actually talk to people. They're just not in that mental space and it needs to happen. And unfortunately, I think it's going to happen when people like you join organizations like that and spearhead those kind of efforts. It sucks. Man, I dragged them motherfuckers through the hood with me. I told them, I was like, listen, <laughs> this, is an, this is an untapped resource right here. Yeah. Y'all gonna be all right. But I, I told them, I'll be like, look, if it makes y'all feel better, I'll be up front. I'll knock on the door. I'll talk to people. I'll make sure I'm comfortable. And if I'm, if I'm up there, if I'm talking to them for more than 30 seconds, then that's obviously they're interested. Jump in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying, because it's just like, my thing is this, is because when we was out there campaigning, people barely even, people was barely even here for Bernie. We couldn't get... We won't get nobody out there. We got motherfuckers out there for Bloomberg of all damn people. I'm like, mm-hmm. how the hell is his sign getting on this? Mm-hmm. Started picking them damn shits up and throwing them out. But you know, <laughs> I was out. I, I swear to God, I was. I was there. It, it was because he was at parks and fucking 
community halls and shit. I'm like, hell no, I, I ain't going. Yeah. But his campaign, for his campaign to be grand open and grand closing, yeah. And it's like I get Bernie don't take uh, Bernie wasn't taking corporate money, so all his stuff was like local ground. But when I was taking them to like my neighborhoods and whatever, and they were still talking like, you, you got a good thing for this, why don't you do this more? I was like, well, I gotta kind of be honest with you. Once again, everybody, get out of the Democratic Party, please, because this is like what it made me realize for me. I've been living, I've been living in my neighborhood for like damn near all my life. So like mm-hmm. 15, 20 years. I'm only 28. So yeah, I've been living there all my life. Democrats ain't been doing shit. This shit still looks the same. Republicans ain't been doing shit. This shit looks the same. I am willing to give socialism a chance, but what is socialism going to do for the hood? Mm. That's what I need to know. Can I ask you, and do you I mean, listen to... Go ahead, I'm sorry. And I mean, and I mean, I I heard some stuff, but I only, but I was only able to hear from like, a Bernie standpoint of view and it's like a funny story when I was out there campaigning I had stopped into my barbershop by myself and you know the black barbershop scene is already a hostile crowd already <laughs> I go in here trying to tell these people to go ahead and vote for Bernie and I'm just like okay how do I go in here and not sound like a damn commercial <laughs> so I just started talking and it's just like I remember because I, I remember seeing it was back when Crystal Saga was on uh, Rising. Mm-hmm. And I remember Chuck Rocha was on with uh, Chuck Rocha was on there. And he was mm-hmm. talking about his strategy and how he's talking to Latinos. It's like, dude, just go in there and talk to him. Mm-hmm. Go in there, look at him for like two seconds, see something about him, and just try to relate. So I told so it was just like, all right, you know, hey, I'm here campaigning for Bernie. I did do like the traditional introduction. And they weren't even trying to hear it. I just had one brother. Just looked at me and I was just like, hey, you work at the station, right? You own it? He's like, no. I was like, okay, you just work here, right? He's just, yeah. And I was like, all right, somebody find me an owner. And then I was just talking both phones. So I'm just like, you're like an independent. I guess he's like a gig worker. That's how he mm-hmm. barber stuff. So I was like, you don't have health care. He's like, no. You don't provide, they're not your employees, so you don't have to provide them health care. So I explained to him, just like, no, in the Medicare for all, we have like a single payer health care system. You wouldn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. It got all the barbers' attention because they're just like, okay, wait, how will a single healthcare system work? It'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm straightforward with it. Yeah, it may be some trinkets to the tax system to where it may go up a bit, mm-hmm. but now you can go, you and anybody you know, anybody you love, you guys can go in there and your deduct, there's no deductibles. You ain't got to do none of these co pays, mm-hmm. no deductibles. None of these crazy other premium shit. You ain't got it. Drug prices will go super low. And it was just that easy. Then it started going into childcare. Then it started going mm-hmm. into um it was just a lot. And before I knew it, I was in there talking with them for like two whole hours and everybody in there was voting for Bernie for the primary. Mm-hmm. I said, Hey, look, my right hand of God. If Bernie is not our guy, then the next time I come in here, all I'm asking for is a lineup. I ain't, I'm not going for nobody else. <laughs> dude, uh, so when Tuesday came in, I was Tuesday came in. I just came in and I said, "Line me up." And it's just like, hey, even if just try to talk to us in the voting by them, like, dude, Biden, dude, I'm handing in my black card right now. Biden just said I ain't black, so I don't vote for him. So I guess I ain't black. <laughs> Red, you are a treasure. They had Detroit Red, now they got Chicago Red. <laughs> you are you are such a treasure. And that's what that's what 
that's what people need. Like I'm hearing you and I, if you don't end up deciding to join socialist alternative, it's like such their I mean, loss. I'm independent, but I'm, I'm independent and I've been you should be leading. And you should be I leading. And I can't, I, I, I'm not going to feel right leading anything that I really Look, don't know. And my, it's my only problem with socialist alternatives is that they are in the neighborhood, but they're like in all the gentrified neighborhoods of Chicago. They're like yeah. in Pilsen. And- but look, so- someone's going to have to tell someone where to go. No, there's nobody in the world who is going to know, no matter how well-intentioned. Even you going to somebody else's hood isn't going to, you're not going to know where to be and who the people are. Everyone kind of needs an introduction, you know? And so, like, some of it is a lack of initiative for sure, and that's why I told, like, the Bernie story. But some of it is, like... <sighs> Some of us are going to have to lead the way, you know, when, when I was in Cleveland, let me tell you, and again, I'm nobody's, <laughs> I've led a, I've led a Tony life in many respects, but when we were in Cleveland, there's something about when I'm in Cleveland that I feel very homey and comfortable. I remember doing some canvassing. I was covering Nina Turner's race. I wasn't technically canvassing for Nina Turner. I was just there in a journalistic capacity, but I remember they were, had a film. They were trying to film a commercial for her while they were canvassing. And nobody was opening the doors or they were like looking out the window and then closing the blinds because they didn't want to be on camera and they weren't trying to be on some political nonsense. Right. And when I tell you, I was strolling around. I didn't have the cameras on me because I'm just a reporter. And I saw this man. We were in a black neighborhood. I saw this man out in the backyard. Tell me why when I walked over there, he was out there tending to his 200 pigeons in his private coop. Now, two words to this man. That's not a personal so lie. <laughs> In Cleveland, Ohio, there is not a person alive who has 200 pigeons who doesn't have something to say and doesn't want to chat your ear off. So two seconds later, I'm like, okay, like two seconds later, 20 minutes later, I'm like, they're like, where'd Brianna go? Somebody comes back over to find me. And I'm like, you need to get Nina Turner back over here. And she ends up coming over and this man and his wife, it turns out that I went, the reason I went over there was because they had two two signs in the front yard. I remember, all right, now I remember. Do you want to tell the story, story on the podcast? Right, yeah. one for Nina Turner, one for Chantel one Brown. For Chantel, one for the, oh, right, and they were kind of afraid to go over there because of that. But it turns out one of the, I forget if it was him or his wife, but one was for Nina, one was for Chantel Brown. But her going over there and just being willing to have that conversation, that was it. Talk to the man about his pigeons for a little bit. Frankly, it was fascinating. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 to me, that's the fun part. Like, these, it's human beings, the raw grist of humanity is like I just don't got a lovely. I just don't got a political home. I mean, I talk about the policies. Yeah. I'm all I'm all for these policies, whatever. I just don't got a political home. It's just like I mean, these all sound like good ideas, but who can Well that that's what like I think makes you feel more trustworthy. Down. That's what makes you trustworthy that you're not some evangelist for a D or an R or a G or an I or an L or any of these political parties. That you're you're saying, look, this is what I believe in. This is what I think would be helpful to you. And you're like, my approach, we did, we did some barbershop, booty shop stops as well on that trip. My approach is to start by asking what they want. Don't presume a damn thing. I've seen too many people get derailed. I've seen young women burst into a, a, bar, a beauty salon and say, we support abortion rights and make everybody very uncomfortable because they have some uh, um, respectability politics around the idea that they're being, you know, there's a presumption that as you know, black women that they need you know, that they are loose or whatever. Don't do like, just ask people, Hey, what's going on with you? What are your concerns? What are you struggling with right now? And you can throw out some options, healthcare, education, housing, like, or any of those things, you know, and they will pick up on that. And then they'll start telling you your issues. Cause everybody has the same issues. It's hard out there. The rent is too damn high, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's not about politics to me. That's like a human being asking another human being what's wrong. And can I help you? 
That's what. That's all we should be doing. I I mean I swear I know because I that was like one thing too. It was one dude in that he was a baller. He was getting his hair cut and whatever. And he's just like talking about college. He's just like. I was like, dude, first off, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to go to college, but. <laughs> it's expensive. I look, at your inc- yeah. look at your income situation and really make sure because I remember when them damn predators used to come to my damn school selling me the dreams. You will get the house, you'll get your wife, you'll get the kids, you'll get the house and dog and white picket fence. All you got to do is come to school. And I'm like, all right, what's the cash? How much? Okay, $40,000, and this ain't even a year. This is a semester. Okay, so how the fuck am, you see where the fuck I'm at? How the fuck am I supposed to have it? Oh, we'll do just financial aid. All right, well, I how much financial aid? Yeah, you get about $5,000. That's not even 10 So where the hell is the rest of this money coming from? Yeah. When I told him about, um, when I told him, ironically, like, these niggas didn't even know about executive orders. And I was just like, y'all do know he can... The president can literally sign away this debt. He can write it off. He can just write this off. And it's gone. It's done. We don't have to pay it no more. Yeah. Especially the way how it's like crippling us and holding us down. And he promised HBCU grads. I mean, most black people don't go to HBCUs, but you know what I mean? He promised specifically HBCU grads and still reneged. Right. I didn't even even remember that because I wasn't even really paying attention he said a hundred percent. He said up to up to ten percent for everybody, whatever. But a you know a hundred percent of HBCU debt. That's the way. That's the ten. That was the ten thousand. No, ten thousand is for everybody else. But HBCU grads making I think under one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year, we're going to get a hundred percent student loan cancellation. That's what he campaigned on. Uh, I, well, I. <laughs> I, yep. All right, well, even if he would have said that to me, it's clearly went one day after the other. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to hear well, he, what this dude was saying. Hell. Yeah, well, he he lied anyway, so there was no point listening to him. Republicans got that moniker right. He's, he he's lying by him for shit. sure. Look, look, Red, you are you are truly a treasure. I want to point you to the fact that Bide here in the chat, who is also a treasure and calls in frequently, says he's from Chicago, too. If you ever want to can- canvas for Socialist Alternative or learn more about DSA, he's there. Bide is black. Like, Bro, you gotta I, tell me what socialism. You gotta tell me what socialism's doing. You gotta tell me what socialism's doing for the hood, man. Like, I mean, I get like some stuff, but it's just like. Oh, Biden's a bourgeois like, lawyer, so I don't know what he knows about that. <laughs> Lol. Well, sorry, let me just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I mean, trying to call I mean, you look, out, Biden. I, I mean, look, I put it this way: like, public schools, fire departments, police department, all this—that's all socialism. So, I mean, okay, that's a start, but I mean, it's just like it's like we bring it in because you say he's from Chicago. If he know what area I'm talking about. We see Louis Farrakhan's dudes out there in them suits and bow ties more than we see anybody else out there really yeah. protesting the activism and anything. So, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll do my, I mean, like I said, I still push the policies and I mean, at least socialism got my attention, but I really just steer people more so towards like, towards like bad faith and breaking points and just independent well, media. I mean, that's the small, do, do you listen to, do you listen to Revolutionary Blackout Network and, and those yes, I guys? Do. Yes, I do. Okay, just I mean I I, I think haven't li- I haven't I will admit, but it's a it's a bad, but it's a good. I haven't really listened to them because I feel like I finally found some financial stability in my life, and I was able to finally get to like your Patreon, and 
I was able to get like breaking points, but it's like I got the Patreon. <laughs> That little five or ten dollars. I mean, everybody say it's just a little five or ten dollars. Hey, that's it adds up. I know you're breaking my heart. You're making me want to just send you like, (laughs) give me your email. Let me send you just links to everything. Okay, I need to. Here's what. Here's what I'm also gonna do. I'm gonna be away next week. I'm about to unlock a shit ton of episodes on Thursday and not put out a new episode. I'm recording. I've recorded. I recorded one tonight. I'm recording one tomorrow morning. The one from tonight will be out Monday, and I think I'll save the next one for the following Monday. Because I care about page, you know. I'm sorry, guys, but I gotta keep the patrons. Um, and then have the Thursday be un- a bunch of unlockings because I always forget to unlock stuff, and this stuff should be out in the world. So, look, Red, like I hope you do call, call back. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I think that you're completely right that there needs to be some kind of ever present hey, organization like the. Hey, you know nation- what I will call. Hey, you know what I will call back because, uh, funny enough. Um, this is like quick question, stupid. And my girlfriend is right here. If you wanted me to ask you this, because when we first saw your name, she just like kind of looked at me like, "Do you know her or something?" And I was like, "I've never seen her." I mean, I'm only saying that because my my mom's maiden's last name was Gray. So when she saw that your last name was Joy Hyphen Gray, she was just like, "Are, are you like saying like, are we cousins?" Are you are you guys I, all from Chicago or where where's your mom's from? I mom don't from? know. Yeah, my mom, my mom, um, her her father, who's my grandfather, his last name was Gray, and all of us kind of been in Chicago. My mom really don't like to talk about her history that much. Hmm. Just from what I heard, she was like a problem child or something. But that's another story. Well, that's fine. Look, <laughs> Gray is but, I think like the seventy fourth most, most common name in America or something. So there are a lot of Grays, and there are a, quite a few Black Grays. It's a big family. My Grays are from Virginia, the Tidewater area. Right, and it's like I don't know where none of the Grays come from. Like I don't know like none of the South my grades or whatever. But I'm taking but, all the cool points. If but there are a lot of them. My dad was the <laughs> youngest to seven. Like I got cousin Eric Gray who comes into the chat. Like we very well. All I would have to do is look at your face because there's a very distinctive gray nose and they look at kind of a gray forehead situation, and I could figure it out. <laughs> I might have to show you pictures of the grays. I don't do, really. Do, I don't even know if I got the gray look. I do they call you red? My... Do they call you red because you look like Malcolm X? Are you one of those redheaded, freckle-faced black people? I, my name's actually Malcolm, and I. I'm kind of like in that skin pigmentation where it's like, okay, you could be a gray. You could be a gray. That's my dad had strong Malcolm X vibes. (laughs) But yeah, my name, but yeah, my name's Malcolm and I was, my name's Malcolm and I was like hard headed. So they was just like, nope, he feeling that, (laughs) nope, he feeling that red phase. But once he grow out of it, he'll get his ex. But for now we just got to call him red. And it's like, it just kind of, it just kind of stuck with me since like childhood. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope we do discover that we're cousins, Red. Um, and it, but sure, regardless, man. we're all we're all in this but together. Where we are, we are cuzzo, cuzzo, or even just as I don't know, we're just politically homeless. Co- out here co- point, yeah, cuzzo, right? cuzzo, or comrade. I'm, I'm glad to know you, Red. <laughs> Either way. All right. I go hold up. I gotta eat. Uh, all right. Take care. I Get some rest tonight. Thank All right. You Thank you. You too. Keep the faith. Take care. Oh, you guys are so wonderful. Like the, what a, what a pleasure and a privilege to be able to talk to you and to get to know all of you on this, on this app. I don't know if they knew what they were doing when they created this app, but it's such a wonderful thing. It's such a wonderful thing. Um, 
Thank you all. Like, I cannot express to you. Like I said today, Brianna, only do two hours because you got to wake up and do an interview and you need to clean your apartment before your friends come. But I couldn't help myself. I said, let me start at 730. I can get done early. I couldn't help myself because you guys are also wonderful and I enjoy talking to you so much. I will see you on, I guess, Monday evening. It might be a shorter one then because I really am going to have to catch a flight the next day. But um, it's not because I don't miss you and enjoy you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting independent media. Thank you so much for taking these hard questions so seriously and being willing to commit so much of your time and your lives to this. Really, truly, thank you. And keep the faith. Mystic Crystal.